Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. On Twitter. This time it's House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings. He wrote this Cummings District is a disgusting, rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. No human being would want to live there. Infested. That's usually reserved for references to rodents and insects, but we've seen the president invoke infestation to criticize lawmakers before. You see a pattern here? Just two weeks ago, President Trump attacked four minority congresswomen. Why don't they go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Reminder, three of them were born here. All of them are American. Infested, he says. A week before his inauguration, January 2017, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Donald Trump has tweeted more than 43,000 times. He's insulted thousands of people, many different types of people. But when he tweets about infestation, it's about black and brown people. September 2014, at the height of an urgent health emergency, why are we sending thousands of ill-trained soldiers into Ebola-infested areas of Africa? Bring the plague to the U.S.? Obama is so stupid. Infested, he says. There's a revolution going on in California. So many sanctuary areas want out of this ridiculous crime-infested and breeding concept. Infested, he says. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district, that no human would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. And a lot of people I care about still do. There are challenges, no doubt. But people are proud of their community. I don't want to sound self-righteous, but people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans, too. We'll be right back. CNN Newsroom, brought to you by Fasenra. For more information, visit... And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It's the 29th of July, year of our Lord, 2019. And that was Victor Blackwell because somehow, someway, Trump decided to do another stupid tweet and insult Elijah Cummings' district. I'm going to cover it. It's a true statement, but by the end, I think we all understand that that's a really stupid tweet. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I agree with everything Trump says about Ilian Omar, AOC, Camelia Harris. I think they're all nut jobs, and I think West Baltimore is a fucking steaming pile of shit. Yes, boys and girls, I've been there. And we have video proof. But this is an election season, so that's just really, really not the smart thing 
to do. So that'll be the lead-off. Once again, we're going to go back into some more AOC, uh, a little AOC, mostly Omar today. She decided her and uh, Tlaib to say some really stupid shit um, that, you know, the media is totally ignoring. Um, We're going to go into all the still blowback off the previous tweets of the go back and come back and go back and come back. And then, of course, we have Mueller today. A lot of Mueller. I was going to start with that. um, But I thought that, you know, right off the bat, it was better just to go into our our, uh, lead story instead of doing it like we did last time, what was on the back end. Uh, we have a little fallout with that, too. I got some hate tweets mixed in, but it's a regular old podcast. And, uh, you know, CNN, they stayed on top of this and played it. I don't have any counts on how many more times they've called the president racist for saying a part of Baltimore is a shithole just because the representative is black. That's the juxtaposition, six degrees of separation of everything a conservative says is racist. Um, that's how they got that, you know, blocked in together. But, um, here's another CNN soundbite of them literally, once again, Trump, his supporters, all white people, most of the United States, you're a fucking racist. Look, as journalists, you know, I wrote yesterday, some days I think I don't have an ounce of vitriol left to deal with this man. But then he comes Mm. up with something like this and we respond. We can't ignore him. You want to ignore him because he's a sick person who even when we denounce him, he's happy because at least we notice him and he thinks he's controlling things and he's important. He is important as the president of the United States. But I think think the combination of facts. You think ignoring the tweets is not an option? We cannot do it anymore. God, I want to. God, every time I see one, I want to ignore. Brian, we're not going to correct him. He's not going to change. He's so far down this road of evil. He's not going to change. We can change voters' minds for 2020. That's what we can do if we keep speaking forcefully and we talk about morality. Journalists do not talk enough about morality because we think people will think we're biased. No, we need to keep talking about it because we have an amoral president and administration right now. Bakari, are you worried about the economics? I'm worried about the economics. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and uh, bash Tavis Smiley and Bob Johnson, although I have very hearty disagreements with them both. Uh, and Tavis Smiley's petty disagreements with the president go back goes back to not getting inauguration tickets. So I'm not going to go into that. But what I am going to say is the economics is very important. I mean, we there are many of us, uh, and, and Niger, I'm sure, is one of one of them who have been chanting for a long period of time for both parties to talk about issues uh, of increasing African American wealth, access to wealth, because many times that's the only way. Uh, that you can that you can achieve and attain some level of success. And I mentioned I failed to mention one person earlier, Bernie Sanders, who's also talking about these issues. And so it's more than just criminal justice reform. I, I think, Chris, though, you hit the nail on the head that there are a lot of us who who won't, who wouldn't take anything um, from Lester Maddox. There are a lot of us who wouldn't take anything from George Wallace. There are a lot of us who won't take anything from Donald Trump. Uh, it's the same vein. I mean, Donald Trump is a racist, period. And I say that based on fact. I say that based on action. I say that based on deed. And so uh, I'm not going to make that argument to Niger and everyone else in this country, people who are watching. I will say that even before we are Republican or Democrat, we're black 
first. We're American. We're black first. And, and, and going into that, it's very hard to have someone who every single day makes you feel or attempts to make you feel lesser of an individual by his words and deeds uh, because of the color of your skin. The Central Park Five is just one of those uh, ways in which he does it. And you can't atone by that by simply trying to get it's pronounced ASAP, Chris, trying to get ASAP Rocky out of jail. It takes a little bit more than that. To you, Niger, look, the challenge is, is easy. You got your first step act and you have that the economy is good and that means it's good for everybody. You do have the yawning gap between black and white. That's as bad as it's ever been. But the bigger problem is who the agent is here. He may be the perfect messenger as an older white Anglo-Saxon male uh, to go at Protestant to go after the outrage and the disaffection of the white community. But for Donald Trump to sell himself as pro-black after the Central Park Five and birtherism, does he even have a shot? Well, first of all, he wasn't the only one back in New York in the late 80s, early 90s that were troubled about crime and troubled. outraged. He about accused the, them of the having initial, done something they were exonerated the, by. He took well, out a full he, page he, ad in the New York well, Times and yeah, he still Chris, says I'm, they I'm did gonna, it. I'm going to shock you. There were black leaders, including my father, that were just as outraged at the initial reports. Now, at the, not just the know, initial reports. Shows. He says now that they did it. Well, you know, we, 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 we can we can argue uh, him uh, saying now, you know, what, what the situation What's is. What's the argument, what Niger? Was back, he what won't was let go of it because he then. doesn't want to upset well, the people who like to hear that the brown guys did it. Well, let, let me let me get to to some of the larger mm. points here and not just focus on. If Central I were you, Park, I would 19, leave that one alone. Also, 19, Niger, well played, well played. Well, Continue. Well, it's only because you know Trump was not the only one. There were a number of folks. He's now my president of the United of the States. So the fact that, that there was a bunch outraged. of people who didn't know what the hell they were talking about is not the cover for a sitting president to say he still mm. won't accept the justice in that case. My God, these people—they're just. It's stupid. It's not racist. And how do I know that? Well, here is Kimberly Clack. She's a member of the Baltimore County Republican Central Committee. And I'm going to read her tweets, and then I'm going to play her sound bites. okay? And the most amazing thing about this is that, you know, boys and girls, she's black. She's a black lady. So, if she's saying it, is it still racist? I mean, somehow in Prague world it is, but she's African-American. And she's not light-skinned African-American, as is the way of the African-American community, that, you know, lighter-skinned blacks aren't real blacks. This is her tweets. Not only are Representative Cummings' constituents not afraid of Trump, they are on board with his immigration policies. Residents are upset that illegal immigrants are taking the only jobs in the area. City contractors paying the illegals cash, leaving residents with no hope. More to come. Residents constantly call the city to remove the trash. No one shows up for months. Rats and roaches are a problem in almost every home. Illegal immigrants at the border live in better conditions than Americans in West Baltimore. This is Cummings' district. Eight blocks of row houses in West Baltimore are currently using water through a system hooked to the fire hydrants. Please listen to Michelle, a lifelong resident, discuss the water and her message to city officials. This is Cummings District. Let's walk through a typical abandoned row house in West Baltimore. You'll find at least one of these on every street. According to residents, there's an uptick in homelessness thanks to the increase in drug inventory post-2015 riots. This is Cummings District. He claims to care about children in the future. However, in West Baltimore, you will find abandoned homes on every block. 
Many filled with trash, rodents, homeless looking for shelter. Children live on these streets seen here. This district belongs to coming. Let's continue to expose the truth. This is a neighborhood filled with families that have small children. West Baltimore is filled with trash thanks to dumping, a problem city officials should have addressed years ago. This is Cummings District. She keeps saying that all over and over. I can't believe people are upset. I went to West Baltimore and filmed all the trash. Hopefully this attention forces the city to clean up the mess and treat residents better. Enjoy your Saturday. It is so sad to see Victor Blackwell and CNN turn the light currently shining on West Baltimore into a race issue. This could result in positive change. Cummings could help this district in order. Listen to one of his constituents explain a rat and rodent problem. I've been working to do. I'm on. I am not going away. I hope Fox News considering joining me on this journey and the mayor and Cummings need to step up and do something about Baltimore before worrying about those unlawfully in our country. Buckle up. I'm just getting started. I had a last minute reminder at the end of all the outrage we're going to see off of this, but I'm going to play it on the back of this. So these are two separate sound bites. One's going to be Kimberly Clacks, and I didn't get all of them. There was like six videos she put to Twitter. I got about four of them. And then you're going to hear somebody else talking to a resident in West Baltimore about the living conditions. These things were not aired on CNN, MSDNC, NBC, ABC, UPI, AP, Reuters. Nobody aired these. Nobody did research on what it's really like in West Baltimore. They just went with Trump's a racist. Hey everyone, crazy news day, right? You got Robert Mueller trying to answer questions about a report he clearly did not write. Another video. I just wanted to bring you a sneak peek into what I've been finding out in West Baltimore. I thought I could conclude this thing, but I can't. I've got more people that actually want to be interviewed for this piece, which is exciting because I think everybody should know how bad West Baltimore truly is. So Elijah Cummings, this is his district, he said that his constituents were afraid of President Trump on a morning talk show on a Sunday. That turns out not to be the case. Not only are his constituents not afraid of Trump, they're actually on board with his immigration stance. Take a listen. So Elijah Cummings says that his constituents are more afraid of Trump. Do you think that that's true in any way? Watch the broken glass. I got it. Thank you, thank you. So this is an abandoned row home. It's good. This is where the home stay. You sure it's safe? Yeah, it's good. So I just wanted to walk you through a typical abandoned row home. In so West how long do you think this row home has been abandoned? This is what many people live right yeah. next door to. Oh, I've been here 10 years, so it's been over 10 years. 
It is. But I can see why people would live here for shelter. You know what I mean? Right. Here, let me see up here. So crazy. You probably look up there, but I don't know if you want to go up there. Yeah, because it might fall through. Oh, this is the front door here. Yeah. And that's, that's terrible. That is terrible. Well, at least there ain't nobody in here today. Yeah. Residents called 311 in hopes the city would come and help with trash removal. No response. So you for called 311 to have it removed? Yep, and they wouldn't do it. So this whole alley was, was loaded right here. So we put it in that. We had to move it. Sheesh. Yeah, we had and to move it. And y'all live right next to this. Hello, it's me again, world. I was so excited when Miss Kim told me how many hits that we got and that the president actually responded to a lot of And what he said was definitely true. He hasn't done anything for us. For the last, I think he's been in office over 20 years? 30. 30? Okay, so I was like 18 back then, and he hasn't done anything for us. No cookouts, no shoe giveaway, no clothes giveaway, nothing for the, and then y'all just want to know about the houses, he hasn't done anything. Today is Saturday, July the 27th, 2019, not 1819. It's today. It's, it's a little bit after 6 p.m. And like I said, I'm so excited. I'm so impressed with Miss Kim because she's helping us. And she's the only one. Y'all need to put her in office. Y'all need to give her his job. For real. And I'm not I'm just not saying that. It's true. Okay. The house, as far as the house and everything, like I said, he has never done anything for not even one person that I know of. I never heard anybody say anything about him. And people want to talk about Donald Trump, Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that. Why is this man over there taking care of people at the border? We hungry. We need a place to stay. We feel like we're in a concentration camp. And it's, it's just sad. He worried about more about them than his own people. It's, it's just crazy. Excuse me for venting like this world, but it's, it breaks my heart to see this. It does. This, this, this neighborhood... The last time this neighborhood was thriving was 2003. 2003. That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. And it's, it's, and it's just sad. And then they want to take the houses that that's look nice on the outside. They come around film houses that look nice on the inside, outside. But really, don't nobody live in them houses. And they tore up from the floor. Like I said, world, please, we need everybody to get together and represent represent your neighborhood whether you live west east north south way out in west boom boom it doesn't matter just support your neighborhood support your community take care of each other now i could do my usual podcast and play fucking half hour of sound bites of the faux outrage coming out of our media but i saved that for mueller here's just the tip of the iceberg um, Bernie Sanders in 2016, who also was interviewed by Jake Tapper yesterday. He never called him on this. He let him just talk about how Trump's a racist. May 5th, 2016 tweet by Bernie Sanders. Residents of, ba- residents of Baltimore's poorest boroughs have a lifespan shorter than people living under dictatorship in North Korea. 
This is a disgrace. He tweeted that. Nobody in the media has brought it back that this is a bad area. Because they're still stuck on we fucking hate Trump. Ben Gittleson. Trump attack on Elijah Cummings this morning followed a Fox News segment an hour earlier in which a Maryland Republican strategist portrayed West Baltimore as a dirty, dangerous place where residents told her Cummings rarely visits. Al Jazeera Impact Digital Journalist Ben Piven. Mr. President, try staying one night where Congressman Cummings, Cummings lives in Charm City and you may not last until the morning. The Honorable Representative from Maryland's 7th has served Baltimore with pride and integrity. His right to demand justice at the border and his House Committee. Talk about a healthy ratio and there's a reason. People just attacked him. Are you trying to make Trump's point for him? I'm not sure you thought this one through. Basically saying, try to make it through the night. What are you saying? Oliver Darcy. No humans being being would want to live there. Imagine the reaction from the right-wing outrage machine if Ilian Minnesota had made that comment about a slice of America. They quite literally would tell her to go back. AG conservative. This is so revealing. Omar compares some Americans to Nazis at detention centers to concentration camps, so we don't have to imagine. One thing to call them both out, but you can't yell hypocrisy when you refuse to hold one side to any standard. Over the last three years, the Democratic National Committee, every Democrat, our media, has done nothing but disparage a majority of the country not parts of the country, anywhere between the coasts. Southerners, Christians, traditional marriage, white people, gun owners, military. We've all been lumped into, oh, you voted for Trump, so you're a racist, sexist, xenophobe, homophobe, transphobe, phobiphobe. They constantly do it. Omar Tlaib and AOC have pretty much said, and we'll play another one today, that all white people are the real terrorists. ISIS isn't real. Al-Qaeda does not exist. Do we remember the sound bites? Do I need to pull them back out? What Trump did was stupid. It's not racist to point out that Baltimore is a steaming pile of shit. And we'll explain more in a bit, because there's a lot of history that we've forgotten in the media. Justin Amash, instead of all this contempt and scorn, how about being the president for all Americans? Oh, wait a minute. You don't call him your president. John Farvaro, Obama bro. Any Republican patriots plan on criticizing the president for calling part of our country disgusting, rat-infested mess this morning? I don't know. Let's think back to Obama. You didn't build that. They cling to their guns and God. Everyone's racist. That was your strategy, John. Brian Seltzer, just going to share this map of Representative Cummings District for no particular reason. A great slice of Maryland with urban, suburban, and rural areas. I I still don't know why I did it. Uh, Here's April Ryan, who you heard. The White House is infested with mice. Mice traps all over the place. We see dead mice in traps and mice running around a lot. Stink bugs infest the West Wing and what else? Too much to tweet. Real Donald Trump must be talking about where he lives instead of Baltimore. He needs to fix the problem. As a president, he could fix that problem instead of laughing at it. Or does he know that? 
Whole article, media claim Trump is racist for infestation rat tweet about Baltimore. And they play all the videos and show it. And there's hundreds now. People are coming out of the woodwork filming it. Greg Gutfeld had our best thing, so I'm not going to read all this. It just keeps on going into all the things that everybody, you know, they got their faux outrage, they virtue signaled, and Twitter made it a moment. It was a big deal. Greg Gutfeld said, if Trump is a racist, he really sucks at it. Noting the president's agenda and acted policy, Trump's about to execute a white supremacist while trying to free a black rapper from jail as he pushes prison reform that directly benefits families of black men while calling out a city where minorities are victims of crime and blight. If Trump's a racist, he sucks at it. That's pretty true. But, you know... No truth in all this. Philip Rucker, Trump, who recently attacked four congresswomen of color because he said they trash-talked America, calls one of America's oldest city a disgusting rat-infested mess. Maggie Haberman, POTUS claims his, this issue with the squad was how they talked about America. Cummings District is part of America. Man, you lazy. One fun fact about Maryland 7, it's located in the United States of America, a country that enjoyed decades of steady, improving air quality until Trump. David Korn, there are beautiful suburban stretches within the district and some fine urban areas, but since Elijah Cumming is black, Trump seems to assume he represents a district where nothing but rot and crime. What do you call someone like that? Ronald Brownstein, as I've written, Trump employs open racism, not only because he wants to be, but because he has to. He must turn out more of his voters to respond to overt bigotry because the bigotry and the division he already shown has alienated too many voters satisfied with the economy. He's on a treadmill. What was that tweet right there? Majority of America between the coast is all racist white people. They ran articles like this. Reuters, The Hill, AP, all of them. Trump tells black lawmaker to clean up disgusting rat and rodent infested district. Or, Baltimore mayor slams unacceptable comments from Trump. Folks, Do we say AOC slams white lawmaker, slams white American? Do we say Harris does it? Do we say Elijah Cummings, who's made a whole career off race hustling since the 60s? Do we say black lawmaker bashes white people? We don't say that. Harris is our next little soundbite, because of course they're going to ask her. She is polling lower than Bernie Sanders with black people, and she's black. Are you saying this is another piece on the rap sheet of Donald Trump, this misuse of power in the ASAP Rocky case? Yes. Okay. All right. Say it loud. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted the folks to hear. Um, And I'm black and I'm proud. She said, say it loud. (laughs) Wait a minute. Say that again. I didn't hear you. What did you say? Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. All right now. <laughs> saying this is another piece on the rap sheet of Donald Trump, this misuse of power in the ASAP Rocky case. Yes. Okay. All right. Say it loud. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted the folks to hear. Um, and I'm black and I'm proud. She said, say it loud. <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that again. I didn't hear you. What did you say? Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. <laughs> All right now. Did you catch it? 
Trump's fixated with this ASAP Rocky dude that's in a prison. He's black. But even when he does that, he's still a racist. Remember that, boys and girls. He's still a racist. You can't give him any credit for anything. But my favorite one is Eric Solwell. Now remember, he said we should nuke gun owners. His campaign was basically white people are evil, even though I'm white, but I'm down with the people, which pulled him about half a percentage point. Hey, haters, Baltimore is America. If you're defending real Donald Trump by pointing out what you think are flaws in Baltimore, you're trashing America. America's not just the places you like or look like. It's the places you've never seen the people you've never met. Do you hear the hypocrisy in that? Let's just get to the chase. Because of the Ferguson effect, Baltimore was the second in line when the kid, Gray, died in the back of a truck. Those were black officers. But if you remember, it was all white people, white officers, officers are fucking racist. Even though they show people on TV, and I think out of them, majority were people of color officers that dealt with this gray kid. It's gotten so bad now because of the protests. There are seriously parts of that city they just allow them to do whatever the fuck they want. We reported it on the show. They could riot. They could do everything. And since we've covered at nauseum and all those new people like... I was going to talk in the back end. Hey, New York, what's up, man? I've got a lot of listeners from New York and the Bronx, which kind of surprised me. Um, because of the Ferguson effect, and if you look back on it, police forces have pulled back because of all the racial inst- instability that the media has shoved into it because everything that happens is racist. Even if it's a black cop arresting a black person, and that black person gets hurt because they fucking act a fool and all you do is watch live PD every weekend and run away in handcuffs and fucking get fucked up. It's racism. So the cops aren't doing anything. So crime and homicide are through the fucking roof in Baltimore. You have the urban blight that is no different from fucking Detroit and almost every liberal city that's run by straight up Democrats since the dawn of time. Crime, rot, abandoned buildings, Trash, feces. I mean, look at Los Angeles. We just talked about it. Dr. Drew, no conservative. They're worried about the plague out in that motherfucker. Because there's so much trash and homeless. Baltimore is also a sanctuary city. where We brought all sorts of people in that fucking don't have jobs, don't pay taxes, but we're handing them all the free shit. It's a goddamn mess. And it's a mess because of the social justice warring that the fucking left does that they're doing on this. Folks, it was stupid. It was unpresidential. But it was factual. And when you're dealing with the party that has spent the last three years disparaging between the coasts with the media who... I'm going to go out and meet those flyover people that are so disgruntled. It's my first time in Iowa. It sucks to remember that. And they do a couple articles, and then they go back to the same thing they've always done. Rural areas, 
are overrepresented in the Electoral College. We need to ban the Electoral College. Oral, rural areas get too much of the resources. We need to cut those motherfuckers off. Rural areas are all a bunch of white fucking people, and white people are fucking bad. Even though on my block, as I've said ad nauseum, I have every race represented. Every. They're here. There's more gays living in the South. We learned that from a gay advocate television show on Netflix. But that's what you've done. You've done la- labeled them sexist, racist, homophobe, transphobe. You've spent your whole time since you lost an election saying majority of the country between the coast is needs to be written off. It's un-American. It's unpatriotic. You've gone after the flag. You've gone after vets. You've gone after the national anthem. You've said everything, anything we've ever done as a country is racist. And now you get your feelings hurt because an unpresidential president sends a tweet that Baltimore's a fucking shithole. And all you have to do is open your eyes. See, the difference between a lot of people that get up here and they start pontificating and the politicians, there's not a whole lot of places I haven't been. I remember staying a night in Baltimore. It was fucking horrible. It was like staying in Mexico fucking city. Gunshots, crime, it's fucking horrible. The statistics show it. Chicago, horrible. L.A., horrible. These are bad places. And they're not bad places because whites have written off black people. It's because Democratic politicians have passed blacks by. They gave up on gays. They gave up on blacks. They gone straight. You know, we talked about this the whole fucking election cycle. It was African American, African American, American American. Oh, we got to go to gays. Now we have to go to transgenders. Now we're doing illegals. All they give a fucks about illegals. Under Trump, the statistics show the black unemployment's are the lowest it's been forever. We don't talk about that because he's a fucking racist. But it was his policies. Policies dictate what a town's like, what the people live like, what the filth is, the crime. It's all policies. And these Democrat-run cities have policies that are antithetical to law and order, antithetical to anybody but illegals right now. That's their fucking big thing. Boost our numbers on the fucking census. Maybe some of these people will vote illegally. But when they become citizens, they're going to love us, even though the stats show that they're against immigration, just like us racist white motherfuckers. I I just laugh at it. It's faux outrage. It's stupid. It, it just goes into whatever he tweets is now labeled to everybody who's Caucasian in America And it had nothing to do with race. The left takes everything and makes it race. If you don't want to give money to Planned Parenthood, you don't care about black women who are pregnant. But you never talk about the fact that fucking Planned Parenthood preys on black bodies and exterminates black babies at a record level. Their whole upbringing was on eugenics. And that blacks shouldn't reproduce. 
a la Margaret Singer. But we live in a factless world where Margaret Singer gets an award to somebody and it's the greatest accomplishment ever because we rewrote history. We say it on this show all the time. The left writes history and they rewrite it. They write it inaccurately to fit their agenda. So that's our upfront faux outrage of the day. Here's Omar again, saying what she always says, white people suck. A lot of conservatives in particular would say that the rise in Islamophobia is a result not of hate, but of fear, a legitimate fear, they say, of quote-unquote jihadist terrorism, whether it's Fort Hood or San Bernardino or the recent truck attack in New York. Uh, What do you say to them? I would say uh, uh, our, our country should be more fearful um, of, of, of white men across our country because they are actually um, causing uh, most of the deaths within this country. We should be uh, profiling, monitoring, um, and, uh, and, and creating policies to fight the radicalization of white men. There she goes again. That was actually Marco Rubio who was getting clubbed because he selectively edited a tweet. On Thursday, Rubio quote-tweeted the Daily Wire's Molly Prince, who shared the video and added, I'm sure the media will now hound every Democrat to denounce the statement as racist, right? Rubio's sarcasm regarding media bias was immediately confirmed without let's, let's accusing him of providing an edited clip that misrepresented what Omar said in February 2018 interview with Al Jazeera. The clip cuts to a brief portion of Omar's comment, comments out with various media outlets claiming removal, vital context. Here's a quote from the video shared by Rubio. I would say our country should be more fearful of white men across our country because they are actually causing most of the deaths within this country. We should be profiling, monitoring, creating policies to fight the radicalization of white men. And here's her full statement. I would say our country should be more fearful of white men across our country because they are actually causing most of the deaths within this country. And so if fear was driving force of policies to keep America safe, Americans safe inside of this country, we would be profiling, monitoring, creating policies to fight the radicalization of white men. What's the fucking difference? Nothing. It's the same trope the left does that there's more extreme right-wing people and more right-wing crime because they exert all the terrorists killing people all over the fucking planet. That's how they played this game since day one. Sorry, I'm drinking some smoothie. Trying to get my smoothie on. Yeah. Newsweek ignores all this, like the media always does. Ilian Omar is fighting for the white working class, even as they chant, send her back. Whole beautiful, glowing front page. She's the greatest thing that ever fucking existed on Earth. Then all the cabal of Obama came in. 148 black Obama staffers co-sign op-ed bashing Trump as a racist. Uh, The op-ed tonight from Obama White House staffers recalls the relentless attack on legitimacy of President Barack Obama and his family from our front row seats to America's first black presidency and expresses alarm about witnessing racism surge in the past few years. We stand with Congressman Ilian Omar, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Anya Presley, and Rashida Tlaib because they fucking hate America and so do we. 
as well as all those currently under attack by Trump, along with the supporters and his enablers who feel deputized to decide who belongs here and who does not. There is truly nothing more un-American than calling a few citizens to leave our country by citing their immigrant roots or ancestry or their unwillingness to sit quiet obedience while democracy is being undermined. We refuse to sit idly by as racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia are wielded by the president and any elected official complicit in the poisoning of our democracy. We call on local, state, and congressional offices, as well as the presidential candidates, to articulate their policies and strategy for moving us forward as a strong democracy through a racial equity lens that prioritizes people over profit. Here's a CNN soundbite. American former members of the Obama administration have a new op-ed in the Washington Post, and it's titled, We are African Americans, we are patriots, and we refuse to sit idly by. Here's part of what they wrote. There is truly nothing more un-American than calling on fellow citizens to leave our country. We are proud descendants of immigrants, refugees, and the enslaved Africans who built this country while enduring the horrors of its original sin. We are red-blooded Americans. We are patriots. And we have plenty to say about the direction this country is headed. Joining me now to discuss, Kyung La, Hillary Rosen, and David Swerdlick. Happy Friday night to each and every one of you. Hey, Laura. Hey, Laura. David, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, you it's a really, really powerful op-ed from these former Obama staffers. What was your reaction to it? So a couple of things. First of all, all of us know all of a lot of these people. And I think this is a heartfelt message sent after two weeks of debate about President Trump's uh, go back to Africa tweets that says, look, OK, we've dealt with the racism component of this. But there's another component of this, which is that African-Americans, people of color writ large, immigrant communities are patriots and not just patriots, but have contributed to American progress every step along the way, fought in all of America's wars, contributed to the economy, uh, all the way up to the first black president who you know, got the country out of a historic recession, got Osama bin Laden, on and on. I could go all, you know, all day with the laundry list of things that have been accomplished. And when you get to a point in this country where you have the slogan of the uh, incumbent administration which is uh, make America great again, which is an affront both to the idea that there was ever a time that America wasn't great and also an affront to uh, the idea that there was a time when these communities didn't have as much of a say then, then, then we had, then, then people felt like they really had to speak out. Well, you know, you mentioned the people on the list. I mean, the names of the people who are on this. You're talking, I mean, you got Valerie Jarrett. You've got um, people like Drew Elins. You've got people like um, Kevin Beckford. I mean, the long, the list is very long. You're talking about 140 plus people who are on this list. Each of them had a very prominent role in the administration. Hillary, I have to know from you. You know, the president, in spite of what David is talking about, in spite of fact checking and going beyond just why the phrase was offensive of send her back and go back. Donald Trump has doubled down on his racist attacks on the squad. Is it going to backfire beyond just his 140 plus African-American members of the Obama administration? What's the political consequence to this? Well, the interesting thing to me, of course, is that the loudest African-American voice on that um, page was the absent one, Barack Obama. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I can't help but wonder if he thinks sort of what I think, which is, yeah, keep calling him a racist, and that's good because he is a racist, 
but are you playing his game if you prolong the story and prolong the story? His goal in keeping the squad on the front pages and, and attacking them for their racism is to identify, you know, Democrats with whatever the most progressive uh, position is, right or wrong. And but I think the the result, the good news is that it is actually uniting Democrats to to it's uniting members of Congress in the House. It's uniting Democrats across the country to say this. But you really do when you get back and forth into this kind of you know who hates people more. You really are on his playing field, and I'm just not sure that that's where the country should should be and where Democrats should be. Well, Kyung, you have been following the campaign trail of these. Ca- I don't get surprised by things like this. But I must state, as we just come off the heels of West Baltimore as a shithole, everything the left has done has not been to attack the president. It's to attack the president and people who voted for him. They have taken political discourse to a new level. It never was Obama's voters are shitheads. You might criticize them on Twitter, but nobody wrote op-eds saying that all Obama's voters are a bunch of socialist fucking people who hate America. Now, that's every op-ed. Everybody in the South. Every white person. Once again, you can shoot up a baseball team and fucking have an assassination list, and we don't hold any Democrats accountable for that. We blame Trump for it, surprisingly. But you can say that everybody that voted for Trump is a racist. That is now authorized in our public discourse. Snopes took that last thing about the poll, oh, it's mostly false because it was mostly white people. And simultaneously, while we're going through her investigation of misappropriating fucking campaign funds, illegally marrying her brother to keep him in the country, then breaking up with him, she's now on her second divorce. And people are starting to look into, well, what was that about? Was that the same thing? Because he was a British citizen. A British citizen. So did she twice use the immigration system to get people legal status and then just divorce them? And it does matter, boys and girls. She's a representative of the United States. If a congressman from Alabama did this, it'd be front page news. This is a congressman from Minnesota, majority district that was impopulated by the Obama immigration policy for the very reason that we're sitting here talking about this woman. This is Rajneesh Puram. Do a Google search. Go to fucking Netflix. They used to have it on there, but they probably took it off because I think it's racist now. And it literally is what his plan was. Infest areas with mass amount of immigrants, most of them illegal status, catch and release, get them quick citizenship, let them illegally vote, and let you take over a fucking district so we can have more Democrats. That's all it was. It was a Ponzi scheme for voting. And they got away with it. While this is all going on, as we go out to a music break, Jake Tapper had to leave on. And she literally once again said, Israel is there at the detriment of Palestine. This is a woman who has done nothing but anti-Semitism with Omar. AOC has backed up that anti-Semitism. And she says, I never feel more Palestinian than the halls of Congress. 
She said this on the national news show, State of the Union. And we're talking about go back to your country, fix it, then come back and tell us how to fix ours. And West Baltimore is a steaming pile of shit. This is beyond anti-Semitism. And this is what's wrong with the Democratic Party. To music break, straight on into Mueller. A lot of hurt feelings in the media. It's a lot of sound bites, but I gotta play them. So you talk about the hate agenda, and you know you have heard there have been criticisms of you from even your fellow Democrats, especially for your support for the BDS movement, which stands for Boycott Divest Sanction. Uh, it's an anti-Israel movement. Um, well, uh, it's, it's, it's anti. It's 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 criticizing the racist policies of Israel, okay. and it's a boycott, right? I mean, I think folks don't know when you say BDS, especially in. Country, when you say BDS, they don't, they're not sure what it means. Boycott, divest, sanction. I, I want to get yeah. your reaction to something that Senator Schumer said about BDS, which is a movement you support. Yes. He said, quote, when there is such a double standard, when the world treats everybody one way and the Jew or the Jewish state another way, there's only one word for it, anti-Semitism. Let us call out the BDS movement for what it is. And I think one of the questions that Senator Schumer and other supporters of Israel might have is, why focus on just Israel, why not also call for sanctions against other countries where you might have issues such as Egypt or Pakistan or Saudi Arabia? Oh, absolutely. And I think if there was an economic boycott movement around Saudi Arabia, I'd be the first to sign up for it. Um, I, I can tell you they're all around college campuses. Um, there are Jews, Muslims, Hindus, all different kinds of backgrounds who are pushing back against racist policies in Israel because they see that um, the human rights violations of children being detained, uh, the fact that my grandmother who lives in the West Bank right now does not have equality. She doesn't have freedom of travel. Um, she is someone that right now under occupation uh, is feeling less than. And I grew up in the most blackest, beautiful city in the country where every corner in Detroit here, you will see uh, a reminiscence of the civil rights movement, of the labor rights movement. And we did it through economic boycott. It is a form of freedom of speech. But people want to dismiss it because they're trying to say it's anti-Semitism. That's the way to try to discredit the fact that we all know under Netanyahu's regime, human rights violations have gotten worse. And we need to be well, why able not, to Why not boycott Egypt? They have, oh, they have I would rights. boycott Egypt, of course. But you keep I'm very you would, critical. You would boycott oh, Saudi Arabia, you. you would boycott Egypt, but you're but not. But right now, there is not a bill or resolution on the floor that is saying stop boycotting Egypt. But you could. But of, of course. And I would absolutely oppose any sort of oppression, of freedom of speech, of First Amendment right in this country. It's a slippery slope, Jake, because tomorrow, if, if folks want to uh, you know, boycott Saudi Arabia and there's a movement and it's got a name, uh, they're going to go ahead and pass a resolution saying you don't have freedom of speech, you don't have a right to First Amendment. You can't be double standard. But, of course, I would oppose any kind of oppression of that sort, of, freedom, of, of, of dismissing somebody's right First Amendment right. And we have cases around the country from teachers who don't even know what's going on in Israel, who do not feel like they should wipe away their First Amendment right to be able to speak out through economic boycott. I know you want to talk about Michigan, so just let's last question on this. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I, I truly believe the state of Israel is, it exists, correct? But understand, does it exist in the detriment of inequality for the Palestinian people? Detriment of not really moving forward in a peaceful resolution. We're never going to have
piece I truly believe is separate but equal is the way they want to go. And I can tell you, I learned that from my African-American teachers in Detroit public schools who showed me what the pain of oppression looks like. We're not going to have peace if we don't understand that we are dehumanizing Palestinians every single day when we choose Israel over their rights. But yes and or no, does Israel have a right to exist? Oh, of course. Okay. But just like Palestinians have a right to exist, Palestinians also have a right to human rights. We can't say one or the other. We have to say it in the same breath or we're not going to actually have a peaceful resolution. So
looking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Everybody here in D.C. counting down to Mueller time. Pretty much whatever happens tomorrow is high stakes. High stakes hearing on Capitol Hill. The stakes are extremely high. The stakes are so high. The stakes could not be higher. We are on the eve of historic hearings. Historic. Historic Historic testimony. Historic. 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 This is the room where history will unfold. You really can't overestimate what is on the line for Democrats when it comes to Robert Mueller's testimony. This is a very big deal. So crucial. Really, really important. Very dramatic. Mueller's testimony this morning could be their last best chance to convince the public to support impeachment. Do you think there's a make-or-break moment? Look, it's their make-or-break moment. Could the outcome sway undecided House Democrats on impeachment? What happens here today is likely to be a turning point in the fight over impeachment. Do you think that it could change the dial on impeachment? It's going to be very damning. The recitation of that evidence could be incredibly damaging. A key moment in the Trump presidency. Testifying before Congress with the presidency at stake. This is either going to be the world's biggest event, the Mueller movie, or a dud because there's nothing new. That, that question, was the ball advanced? No. Impeachment's over. They needed more fuel for any kind of impeachment effort. So look, on optics, this was a disaster. But he, um, a lot of Democrats in particular used the D word and branded this a disaster early on. That is a montage of the media, the moment the media just got crushed. They just got crushed by this because it didn't work the way they wanted. They still thought with all their little videos that you got to see this. And when Mueller comes, like Gary Cooper out there and saves us, he's going to make the American people understand that Trump needs to be impeached. He needs to go away. He's an evil man. He colluded. He obstructed. And none of that came through. I have a great montage I'm going to play. It shows them going through all the steps of grief to acceptance, except for CNN. They still fuck that motherfucker and impeach him. But David Hearsay and Ken Dillian were the ones that really kind of summed up what happened to them. He deflected 198 times. He did not answer the questions because it has nothing to do with what he was charged to do. I mean... Jim Acosta, Mueller on Russia determination to interfere in American democracy. They're doing it as we sit here. Peter Baker, Mueller on Russian interference. They're doing it as we sit here. Tim Mack, Mueller on Russian interference. They're doing it sit there. CNN, Representative Will Hurd asked former special counsel Robert Mueller if he thought Russians. It wasn't a single attempt. They're doing it while we hit there. They were doing it in 2016, and Obama was the president. Those are the things that you won't hear in these sound bites. Jesse Kelly, tucked just behind this Mueller show hearing that's already been decided is the fact that the Federal Bureau of Investigation under President Obama spied on a candidate from the opposition party using a FISA warrant obtained with Hillary Clinton's oppositional research. Dana Loesch, this circus just proved that every single narrative Democrats manufactured from collusion to obstruction was nothing but a means to punish Trump for winning over Hillary. 
Take note, private citizens. Imagine what these people would do with more power. The Clinton campaign and their party solicited the assistance of foreign spy working with Russia to leak discredited Russian oppo material to the press and use the subsequent stories to some justification to surveil private citizens due to politics. It should scare people. Tom Elliott. Andrea Mitchell. Shameful, shameful how Republicans ask questions about the origin of the FBI Russia probe. That's what this hearing showed, folks. There was nothing there. They knew it wasn't there. But just like the Iraq war with Bush, and they built it with eight years of Clinton Saddam Hussein has WMD, so America bought it, the media bought it, and there was nothing there. The moment there was nothing there, they used it as a political cudgel. That's what this was all about. It started in June 2016 with the Hillary Clinton campaign because they knew they were going to lose. The inlays weren't going their way. But none of that's been reported by our media. None of it is talked about in our media. They're still running polls, even Fox News, that should he be impeached, and it's uh, 1% in the course, pretty much a tie, 45% of America either is or is not for impeachment. Not based on Mueller, just based on him. This was the biggest scandal that has ever happened in our lifetime. And it wasn't Donald Trump. It was the Democrats stealing election from Bernie Sanders, then using ill-gotten intelligence that was all fake to illegally spy on a political campaign. It happened under Obama, who authorized it. He knew nothing was there. That's why he didn't do anything about it. But he let all this happen on his watch. It makes Watergate look like a fucking drop in the bucket. But in these sound bites, you will hear none of that. It is the Congress. That's that's the way it's set up to deal with whether or not a president commits a high crime or misdemeanor. And those questions... The Democrats got some pretty meaty answers to, like you talked about, Jeff, on the issue of, no, I didn't exonerate the president. Yes, he did uh, try to get me fired, and it was only stopped because the White House counsel said, no, I'm not going to do this. And several other examples. You know, you, said, you saw them do today, one by one, and clearly in coordination, they practice for this, a succession of members, piece by piece, making the case to the American people. Senator, almost like an opening argument in an impeachment proceeding, ticking through the instances, uh, the, the attempt, to, the, getting McGahn to fire Mueller, uh, getting Sessions to unrecuse, the Lewandowski, the witness tampering. There were some folks who were uh, rattling things off at him, the word salads, and he had to ask the question, I'm sorry, could you repeat it, um, and didn't immediately understand what was being asked. And I think a lot of people would be in that position. And so I think what's going on here uh, it, you know, is another dimension of a character assassination that's been going on for two years now. Uh, and they have another front that they're opening up. Um, after trashing a guy who's a military hero for being a, and a Republican. And More than three and a half hours after he walked into that room, uh, Robert Mueller is now walking out. They're going to take a break uh, for a little while. 
Uh, the uh, next session will be the House Intelligence Committee. They will have questions as well. We expect at least another two hours there. You know, it's very interesting, uh, Jake. Uh, on three major issues, he did make some significant news. He said uh, that the report that he pr- prepared, 448 pages, did not totally exonerate the president, as the president has claimed. He says a president uh, could be charged after leaving office, a sitting president, according to current Justice Department guidelines, can't be charged or indicted, but after leaving office, potentially could be charged, and also uh, that he wasn't charged specifically this time in response to questions from Ted Lieu, the Democratic congressman from California, because of the Office of Legal Counsel opinion that a sitting president can't be charged. That's going to be pretty, uh, pretty significant, that statement that he made there. I thought it was the closest thing to, to something that's bombshell, both legally and politically. I mean, what's the purpose of this proceeding? The purpose of this proceeding for the Democrats is to make some case that they need to take some additional action. And so the question is, is someone above the law or not? And if it is true that Bob Mueller thought there was no crime, uh, then there's, there's no argument to be made necessarily that the Democrats would do anything. In response to Ted Lieu's question, which was, which was pretty clear, mm-hmm. um, he didn't say it was one of the reasons, was a reason. He said, the reason, right. the reason why he didn't indict Donald Trump was because of the OLC opinion. And can I just say why this is a big deal? I mean, why we are focusing on this exchange with Ted Lieu, what it means is if any other person Mm -hmm. had committed the acts that Robert Mueller uh, identified, that person today would be awaiting. But on the big question of one of the big questions going into today was, uh, was this report essentially a referral to Congress to, to take this up and handle it in a way that the Justice Department is not allowed to because this is a sitting president? Mueller essentially muddied the waters a lot uh, today. I think he could have been a lot more clearer in some of uh, his answers as to what exactly happened here with what the Russians did and that is not okay and what perhaps the the solution would be for the political branches of of government to do, and he did not do that. Shimo, what did you think of Mueller's performance? Look, I think there were times when he struggled, certainly. He to me, it always seemed like he didn't have a good command of the facts, right? And this was something that I think I thought a lot about going into this hearing. Will Mueller have a good command? Will he know everything that's in this report? Will, he was in charge of this investigation. So, you know, we expected him at times to be able to know exactly everything that's in this report. He ran this team. Um, but it looked like at many times he was struggling. He didn't understand a lot of questions. Yes, granted, some of the questions were convoluted. They were coming at him fast. And, and the Republicans were doing what, you know, you see in a lot of trials. They were just trying to discredit him in any which way they could in an effort to try and essentially impeach him. So, I, look, I think the big thing here, I think the president makes a, a point here of this. And, you know, this is a president who's all about performance. Uh, and so he's going to hone in on that. And a lot of people, I think, are going to hone in on the fact that the performance just wasn't what I think people expected. It was a shaky performance. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Most of the criticism has been, in my view, looking at it from the left side of the partisan ledger. Uh, the Washington Post right through, which was just published, uses words like halting, short, and clipped. I've been following David Axelrod. This is delicate to say, but Mueller, whom I deeply respect, has not publicly testified before Congress in at least six years, and he does not appear as sharp as he was then. This speed dating approach to questions is hard on Mueller. 
Um, a lot of Democrats in particular used the D word and branded this a disaster early on. He defined his role at the hearing as a prosecutor. Well, today he was a witness. And he frankly wasn't a really good witness because he declined to answer by my count over a hundred times. I have to say that far from breathing life into the report, he kind of sucked the life out of, report, out of the report. I thought he was uh, boring. I thought in some cases he was uh, sort of evasive. He didn't want to uh, explain or expand on his rationale. Um, he seemed lost at times. He was kind of uh, flipping through the report, trying to find passages that members of Congress were reading to him. It's, uh, it's undeniable that this performance from Robert Mueller. When yesterday he was speaking, we'll get to this later too, to a uh, bunch of young Americans saying that the Constitution gave him the right to do whatever he wanted to do. And I also, I have to think back to that Financial Times article yesterday that talked about how the Nazis in the early 1930s would rail against, quote, the system, constantly railing, quote, against the system, because the, quote, system was actually still stopping them in the early 1930s from doing what they wanted to do. So they attacked, quote, the system, just generally, until finally they were able to break it down and do whatever they wanted. I mean, it is, Mika, this is it's just, this keeps, this, this, well, let me go to you, Matt Miller. Uh, I found it interesting that Democrats tried at least a couple of times to get him to, to say his own words, read directly from the report, and he declined. I don't know if that was a sense of not wanting to provide a... Well, he knew what they were a, going for. A, a he soundbite? Was, he, he made this decision. He is not going to be a television ad, and he's not going to be that. And, and I think... And I take Neil's point, it, it, it helps in credi with, with, with but, credibility. The fact is we, we are living in this 21st century um, uh, new type of asymmetrical media warfare that we're in. And you have but, a propaganda machine on the right. And that's what it is, is a full-fledged propaganda machine on the right that the Democrats haven't figured out how to combat very well yet. And, they and I warned. think they took the Trump bait. Meaning, they said, oh, yeah, you're good at TV spectacles, we're going to make a TV spectacle. But they were warned that he was not going to That's read. Right. They, they need to go back to just being... From his own report. And this goes to the larger issue of, have they fumbled the entire accountability? We've got breaking news tonight with reactions still coming into the Mueller hearings. It was quite a day here. At one end of Pennsylvania Avenue, former special counsel Robert Mueller answering questions for the first time about his investigation of President Trump. And at the other end, the president watching it all on TV, fuming and tweeting. It was six hours of testimony before two House committees, and Mueller made one thing very clear. He did not clear the president of wrongdoing, as Mr. Trump has claimed time after time. But he also left any action against the president to Congress or to prosecutors after Mr. Trump leaves office. Good evening. He was the reluctant witness, Robert Mueller, who for nearly two years had the country holding its breath, went public today testifying about his Russia report. The former special counsel, as promised, didn't stray much beyond his written reports, but nonetheless made headlines. Acknowledging President Trump was untruthful in his written answers to investigators, calling the Trump campaign's embrace of WikiLeaks problematic, and firmly rejecting the president's characterization of the report as a hoax, which is exactly what the president called it again late today. Pete Williams starts our coverage. Mr. Mueller, what's your message to the president? Robert Mueller arrived amid great hopes by Democrats that the hearing would spread his report's message to the millions who've never read it. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. 
But Mueller did not reach a conclusion on obstruction because the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel says a sitting president cannot be indicted. But can he be charged after he leaves office? You could charge the president of the United States with obstruction of justice after he left office. Yes. Again and again, Democrats went back to the report to highlight the 10 incidents of possible obstruction by the president, including when Trump allegedly ordered his former White House counsel, Don McGahn, to fire. This was politics, friends. Right afterwards, Robert Mueller, I would charge Trump for obstruction if he wasn't in office. Add your name to condemn Trump for clearly hiding the truth behind his ties with Russia. It was a fundraiser. They rolled it out. Folks, they rolled it out. If this was the truth, listen to these two sound bites. One of them from CNN, and one of them is actually the Democratic leadership. You know what might be a good idea for the Democrats in the House of Representatives is to find out something. You know, I mean, remember, <laughs> they, remember yes. they, you know, they got one control of the House of Representatives and they were going to do investigations. Name one thing that any of these investigations have uncovered. Now we're almost, you know, at the, at the summer recess. Where are the now, tapes? Yeah, like, well, like, what are they, what are they doing? I mean, the, the fact that they... Go, go, go Jeff. Go Jeff. Go Jeff. You know, they've been, um, they have been uh, stymied by yeah. the president. Yeah. I, I mean, right they've had uh, run into unprecedented... Uh, uh, you know, in, interference from the press. But, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This has been a wall-to-wall failure in all Here's these the, committees. You see this as a wall-to-wall fail, failure? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And I think... Legislate for the good of the American people. We're also investigating... Faces say it all. Terry Moran and ABC impeachment's over. Lawrence Tribe, a drum major for the resistance. Much as I hate to say it, this morning Harry was a disaster. Far from breathing life in the damning report, the tired Robert Mueller sucked the life out of it. The effort to save democracy and the rule of law from the lawless president has been sent back, not advanced. The Dems researched this. They researched this, or not researched, they rehearsed it. Full rehearsal. (laughs) They knew nothing was in there. It was theatrics. Joe Scarborough, Jesus, forgive me for ever being a Republican. It was so bad for the left, the very same people that have been talking about Robert Mueller as the god, myth, and legend of everything. Hollywood Mueller groupies faced with frail old man at hearing. They were turning on him, calling him names. They fucking lost it. 
It was so bad this made the air once and it went away. ABC News, 27% of Americans say Robert Mueller testimony made them more likely to support a potential impeachment effort of Trump. A new ABC News poll finds versus 26 who said it made them less likely. 47% said it made no difference. Among independents, 26 say Mueller testimony made them more likely to support impeachment versus 29 who said it made them less likely. 45 percent of independents were unchanged it did nothing for them because there's nothing there and once again for those that are in the areas that i am assuming you're not conservatives or you're listening to this because somebody gave it to you or a college professor said listen to this racist piece of shit this ain't about trump i'm not a trump guy i voted against hillary because i'd met hillary And I do not like Hillary. She's an evil person. This is about the rule of law. It's not, I'm a conservative independent. It's not right for a party to spy on the opposition. If Trump did this, I would be just as angry as I am with Obama. They took the rule of law and wiped their ass with it because they were afraid they were going to lose to a con man snake oil salesman which they did, who used their whole mojo against them. All of it. They used it against them. Branding, social media, big rallies. This is what Obama did. He did it. He went to the root cause of what was needed for this country at that point in time. And they used faulty intelligence to get a legal wiretap. We played games on this for fucking years since the election started. How many smoking guns? How many times the media gone out and told you that he's done? This was the smoking gun. Mocked him for saying I was wiretapped, which he was wiretapped. How many times have we been down this road? How many times has the media been the one pushing this investigation? $30 million spent on a bogus investigation just because you got pissed off you lost an election. A, Republicans would never be able to do this. The media wouldn't allow them. B, as Americans, we shouldn't accept a party that does this. I mean, I said it during the election cycle, if you want to go back to the old tapes, if I was a Democrat and I was a Bernie supporter, I would never vote Democrat again. I mean, we accused a non-political figure of stealing an election right after the most qualified candidate for president ever had just stolen an election from Bernie Sanders. His voters walking out, them using seat fillers at their convention. And then the media doing what they always do. That was the best. It was so organized. It was so perfect. Even though they didn't have any flags, and then they had to roll out too many flags by the end that uh, offended their base who hate the flag. And the Republican convention was a total clusterfuck that they didn't play the videos of look at how awesome Trump is unless you watch DirecTV's feed. And then they showed everything about Hillary. I mean, we went through all this. 
it was a disaster for the Democrats. People walked the fuck out. They were chanting for him, not Hillary. They stole that election. And then they tried to steal it again with that false charge that he stole the election using Russian interference. It goes back to a very smart man. I can't remember who said it. It was one of the first things we covered on this show. If they can spend $30,000 on Facebook and steal an election, our democracy is pretty fucked. Because they didn't. None of that affected anything. You went into that election either fucking hating Trump or fucking hating Hillary. It was a bad choice for everybody. But what the Democrats have done post is inexcusable. From a bogus investigation to hating on people to attacking people to having an armed militant group Antifa running around attacking people to fucking protesting everything to obstructing every decision and every fucking every fucking thing Trump's done you've obstructed I've said it before it's like Mitch McConnell saying my job is to not let Obama get reelected look like fucking two kids in a sandbox you have next level obstructed a presidency it's a fucking joke it won't be the last time we hear Mueller, I'm sure. I keep saying I'm not going to cover it, but this thing was too good. I had to. Let's go into our hate tweets and our soundbite to start us off is uh, Chris Cuomo. He's tried everything else, more morally justified face punches, the whole nine yards. Now he went to Shakespeare to bash Trump. It's getting desperate. Hate tweet of the day! What is in a name? Take a listen. You're saying there's no difference between what you're doing now and an impeachment inquiry, correct? In effect, this is uh, an impeachment investigation. We're crossing a threshold. Absolutely. Okay, so Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee have officially opened an impeachment inquiry. What's going on is that I, I think too much has been made of the phrase an impeachment inquiry. You can define it as you please. Undoubtedly, we are collecting overwhelming evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors committed by the President of the United States. Hence the Romeo and Juliet allusions here. However, there is nothing poetic about the play being made here. However, just like in Romeo and Juliet, no matter how much you wish otherwise, what you call something matters. So what's going on here? Well. The message seemed pretty clear in court documents today. The committee is investigating whether to recommend articles of impeachment and requires access to grand jury materials in furtherance of that investigation. Although the House has not considered a formal resolution structuring any particular proceedings by this committee, such a resolution is not a necessary predicate to consideration of articles of impeachment. Soft. What light through yonder court pleading breaks? They may not need the resolution, but then why not just call it what it is outside of court? Here's a good reason. Speaker Pelosi does not seem to agree that Democrats are already in impeach inquiry mode. I'm not trying to run out of the cot. Let's get sophisticated about this, okay? <laughs> okay. But how long do you think these court fights will take? 
We will proceed when we have what we need to proceed, not one day sooner. Sophisticated. I'm quoting Shakespeare here. Most House Democrats are with the speaker on this. Now, the number supporting an impeachment inquiry is growing. You see them all there, about triple digits. But here's why it's taken time to get there, despite so much talk damning from Democrats what this president has done. You're not there. 59% of you are not in favor of impeachment hearings. That number is up from 46% a year ago, meaning it is more against since the report came out. However, we do not have numbers since the Mueller hearing. We'll see. But let's be clear about this. This is not playing gotcha with the Democrats and, oh, you didn't say it, you're saying different things. It's not pay. Okay, it is sophisticated because it's about being straight with people. And as in the play, the name carries a meaningful distinction. In fact, many legal experts argue launching an overt impeachment inquiry, while not necessarily giving Congress additional powers, may give Congress additional leverage, thus speeding up a couple of cases. For example, this White House is denying access to grand jury material, arguing that Congress doesn't have a legitimate legislative purpose for requesting it. That's why they said what they said in court today. Because an impeachment inquiry gives them more of a look of a judicial proceeding. So a court can allow them to be disclosed if it's in connection with the judicial proceeding. You get what I'm saying? An impeachment inquiry looks more like that than just regular oversight. Okay? So they're trying to make it look not like a run-of-the-mill congressional situation. Saying the words impeachment inquiry could also open the door to other information that Democrats desperately want. Like what? Don McGahn's testimony. The president's tax returns for the same reason. So this seems to be about avoiding a vote on the floor to start an inquiry on one level. Why? The Republicans would likely all be against it. Whipping Democrats to get to a yes may not be a slam dunk. And it's also a hedge against the real risk that the majority of the country might take an impeachment move as proof that Democrats are no better than the bully they see in the White House. So stick with Willie here. The voters may say a plague on both your houses. Bottom line, if the Democrats want to play to advantage, be transparent, be sophisticated, and that means be straightforward. There's already too much confusion about what is real and what is fake. Democrats want to show they are fulfilling their oath. That oath is to hold power to account, in part, right? They also want to avoid winding up like the star-crossed lovers in Romeo and Juliet, right, where they both die as a result of their actions. So... They're right to see the risk of public rejection of their efforts. However, in this situation, it doesn't have to be a tragedy, like the one I keep comparing it to. Remember this. This is my favorite line from Romeo and Juliet. One pain is lessened by another's anguish. Thus, if the Democrats believe they can make a compelling case to the American people that this president is responsible for the kinds of wrongs they keep suggesting, any fallout for them should be nothing compared to what this president will have to answer for. That's all for us tonight. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with Laura Coates in for D. Lemon, a.k.a. The Upgrade, starts right now. <laughs> Look, Cuomo, you're the only person I know who can call William Shakespeare Willie and get away with it and My sound man. profound. Really, yes. I love it. But you know what they say? All the world's a stage, the men... And- we start with NARAL. If you don't like an abortion, don't have one. Problem solved. That's their tweet. I just had to put it in hates, because that's not the point. You want me to pay for that abortion. You want to abort a baby when it's in college. Shut up.
On Trump's anniversary, the media's disgraceful bias by omission. Two very different stories and the very same media problem. Bias by omission, or to paraphrase a famous saying from Watergate days, what did the media know and when do they know it? Let's start by recalling the kind of media coverage Special Counsel Mueller received when he was appointed at 17 to investigate Trump-Russia collusion. New York Times, Robert Mueller is a former federal prosecutor with an unblemished reputation. CBS News, Mueller is a widely respected figure in Washington. Washington Post, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Mueller has expertise and experience, guts, and backbone to uncover the truth. Goes on and gone. And this this coverage was so favorable, it generated things like the t-shirt, In Mueller We Trust. In other words, liberals put Mueller in God's place. What could possibly go wrong? And then the nation is, is treated to real Robert Mueller as he testifies for the House Judiciary and House Intelligence Committee, which produce headlines like these. Washington Post, Mueller, an occasionally halting testimony, points to foreign interference and other, and offers some sharp criticism of Trump. Mediate. This is painful. Pundits question Mueller's frail performance. Michael Isakoff and Yahoo News. He tweeted, Mueller seems increasingly befuddled. ABC's new star, Tara Moran, impeachment over. I don't think Nancy Pelosi is going to stand for the members bringing forth something that is going to obviously lose in the Senate, lose with the American public. The famous line from the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dog Toto pulls back the curtain and reveals a fearsome wizard to be just a flawed man who comes to mind. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Oh, on and on and on. Roll the negative reviews. Mueller general demeanor or confusion. What happened appeared to be complete bafflement to some questions drawing shocked attentions in liberal media venues. Now turn your eyes to Puerto Rico. Recall when President Trump was getting smacked by liberal media stories like this one in the New York Times over the conflict over federal aid to Puerto Rico for relief from Hurricane Maria. Trump lashes out again at Puerto Rico, bewildering the island. The story said this is part, this in part bold print supplied. Mr. Trump's apparent disdain for the island leadership has led to a breakdown of communication between local and the White House. For weeks, Mr. Rossello, Puerto Rican Governor Richard A. Rossello, has asked the White House for a private meeting with Mr. Trump to lay out the island's case for why it desperately needs federal funding for rebuilding after Hurricane Maria. But Mr. Rossello's request has gone unanswered, and he tried to instead to communicate with the president publicly, saying in cable news interviews and official appearances on Twitter that he fears Trump has been misled about Puerto Rico's needs. Mr. Rossello, fight may be uphill battle with the president, who has made it clear that he views more federal aid to Puerto Rico as throwing money away. Mr. Trump's advisors also view the pleas from local officials as part of a campaign to shift blame for what they view as a severe mismanagement of the supplies and money sent out of the storm. Now, what do these two very different stories tell us about the liberal media? First, in the Mueller case, Washington, D.C. is perhaps the most gossipy town in America. To be serious, journalists in Washington is to be afloat in an ocean of information. Some of it good, some of it bad, but lots and lots of it find out find outable. The Mueller investigation has been in existence for two years, all of it at the dead center of the biggest controversy in town. The idea that not a single journalist from the left state media had a clue that something was amiss in Mueller land, specifically meaning the now observable, observable fact that the head of the investigation was no longer the star investigator lawyer he once was, is utterly laughable. 
infinitely more probable is that this or that journal, liberal journalist knew exactly what there was a problem in Mueller land, that his crew of left-wing attorneys were simultaneously running wild, unsupervised, and that they were determined to protect the boss from any hint that he had, as they say, lost a few steps. Likewise, on Puerto Rico, there is the President of the United States, according to the New York Times, questioning the honesty and management skills of a governor and others in the island leadership, for which Trump is assailed as, but of course, a racist. Now, all of a sudden, the governor is forced by his furious raging in the streets constituents to resign. Why? said the New York Times. Bold print supplied. The demonstrators were touched off by a leaked private group chat on Messenger app, Telegram, that revealed crude conversations about Marcello and his closest advisor and pointed to possible wrongdoing within their circle. Coupled with the recent arrests of six people, including two former top officials on federal corruption charges, the hundreds of leaked pages ignited public outrage against the governor, whom protesters derided in a rhythmic chant as Ricky. Article goes on for a long time. But it is what it is. Our media is like the Democratic Party. Conservatives are no different. They'll be for this, then they'll be against this. But they're called on it by the media. Well, that's not what you said here. But liberals and the media, they just move on like they didn't say something a couple weeks ago. They omit facts. Our media has turned in to the Democratic Party. They work totally on emotion. They are factless. That's what we've been reporting since 2016. There aren't facts. A good journalist, and what it used to be like under Obama, I, a Democrat, say Alabama, uh, Birmingham, is a horrible city in decline. They would say, well, this is a very inappropriate statement, uh, especially for those that are in Alabama. But, and I highlight the but, here are the facts that prove it. In fact, we do that every time there's a Democrat. When Republicans, or when Obama said clinging to their guns and God... They ran out stories about right-wing religious groups and this and that and this. When Obama said we need to get rid of, uh, uh, go to the ACA, they ran out stories about how every person that ever had a problem with uh, pre-existing condition. You had a segment a night on pre-existing conditions. That's what we were seeing. That's what we were hearing. And they proved his case. But under Republicans like Bush, Bush Sr., Oh, no, we don't do that. We omit facts so that the agenda can go forward. And here's the deal. After Bush W. and Katrina, why wouldn't a a Republican president be highly defensive? You and the media allowed people to say that he let this all happen because they're black. You and the media let it pretty much become common knowledge that Bush went down to New Orleans, stayed on the plane because he didn't want to be down there with those people. When really he made the right decision, if he landed, it would fuck everything up because resources were stretched. You and the media let it pretty much become common knowledge that he, from the White House, 
pulled it in to kill those black people and then saved white people by blowing up the dike because Spike Lee said that's what happened in a documentary. Yet when Sandy happened and years later nothing was getting fixed, we never even heard about it. You framed a photo of him and Christy hugging or being nice to each other. I can't remember actually what it was. Said that shows what a great person he is and the greatest president that ever graced the fucking White House. And we forgot all about all those people that didn't get the federal fundings and things didn't get fixed for a very, very long time. We covered it on the show. So I thought it was good, and I found it off a tweet, and that's why it's in hate tweets. Alyssa Milano was having a fit when people were trying to bring the abortion of innocent babies into a discussion of the five actual people who are slated for execution by the Department of Justice. Never mind that these actual people have done. If you oppose the death penalty, the crimes of which of actual people were found guilty might even get you to reconsider. Here's an especially hot take, though. Are Native American represented disproportionately represented on death row? They make up only 2% of the population, and yet 20% of the people currently scheduled to be executed. Rebecca Nagel, this was big on Twitter. Native Americans are 2% of the U.S. population and 20% of the people currently slated to be executed by the DOJ. And this is all in response to Trump reinstating the death penalty for federal cases. It's one person. Just so everyone can be clear about how much of a race-baiting piece of shit Rebecca is, when she says 20%, she neglected to mention that there are five people up for fucking execution. And one of them is an Indian or Native American. That is a perfect example of bias by omission. It's what they do. It's why I... A liberal guy in my 20s became a conservative independent because I started researching that most of what I was being told by CNN at all was bullshit. And the facts were somewhere in between what conservatives were saying and what Democrats were saying. But they were nowhere near what the media was saying. For new listeners... This didn't start out as a bash Democrats. This is a bash media. If you look at most of the underlying tone of my podcast for 360 some odd episodes with 15 not even online over the last three years, folks, it's the media who just happened to be part of the Democratic Party. We omit what isn't good for the Democratic Party, including their titles. We owe bias by omission 101. If a Democrat fucks up, you do not hear Democrat. When a Republican fucks up, you see the R on the Chiron and you say conservative or Republican. It is what the media has always done. Next one. Elizabeth Warren introduces bill to cancel around $650 billion in student loan debt. Nowhere in there is how we're going to pay for it. Other bias by omission. Bloomberg Law. A lot of people go to Bloomberg Law. Not. 
Breaking Senator Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign has been hit with an unfair labor practice, labor practice complaint alleging illegal employee interrogations and retaliations against staffers since they unionized. Do you hear that on CNN? No. Then, this one. Breaking House approves resolution opposing Israeli boycott movement and divisive vote. What was the divisive vote? 398 to 17. The 17 to leave AOC Omar. So it's divisive because it's their darlings who voted against it. So there's your little bias of omission. You read the headline, you run with it, you're usually wrong. If you research for your fucking self, you'll find not only is Trump a liar sometimes, but most of the fucking goddamn left's a liar. Republicans are just trying to get elected, just like the left just trying to get elected. They raise my ire more, because now their way of getting elected is to say people that don't vote for them are evil and to use illegal aliens to improve their fucking representation. To our celebrity rage section, I haven't played one of these in a long time, so I decided to do it. In this, singer Bette Midler starts us off, because I don't know which ones are tweets and which ones are audio, so I'm going to do a few of each. Devil worshippers have a higher standard than Trump supporters. Only way African American men support Trump is if they are paid to do it. That's racist as fuck. Michael Moore, a frail old man, unable to remember things, stumbling, refusing to answer basic questions. I said it in 2017 and Mueller confirmed it today. All you pundits and moderates and lame Dems who told the public to put their faith in esteemed Robert Mueller, shut the fuck up. (laughs) He didn't even read his own shit. He didn't. Deborah Messing. There's a difference between exciting and important. Some important things are not exciting. The POTUS committed a felony. MSM stayed focused on what's important. CNN, anytime, blah, 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 blah. Trump's name equals modern-day swastika. Dean Obadiah. This was on MSNBC. Joy Reid. There has been moss to face with the word Trump. Today, Trump is becoming a modern-day swastika. People have to be aware it's no longer a name. It's shorthand for the symbol of hate. Someone says, I like Trump. They're telling you, I'm in for white supremacy. I'm a bigot. I'm in for sexism. That's what Trump means now. And I think we have to be aware of it and call it out bluntly. Reiner, not doing Reiner. Impeach idiot racist Trump. I'm dead-ass convinced this idiot racist could kill someone on Twitter, live in the White House, West Wing, and you guys would be like, when he kills someone, he reaffirms his message of division. We have to work together to reflect blah, call for impeachment. Pelosi, stop, stop dragging your feet. Clip of presidential candidate Pete Buttleg. This is all in Colbert. Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. Stephen Colbert. I don't know Mayor... Nowadays, it's less of a cloak and more of a sheet. Clip of Bernie Sanders. The American people understand that Trump is phony, that Trump is a pathological liar and a racist. Colbert. Oh, they understand it, sir. That's the reason why some of them voted for him. The Rosie O'Donnell. We already did it. Uh, The View. 
we don't do this one. The concentration camps, even though there's a lot of controversy about the word, but actually legitimate scholars have studied. Blah. Trump only cares about demonizing brown people. Rob Reiner on Joy Reid. Mike Pence, go to hell. Sarah Silverman. Bill Maher, that's in the sound bites. Miley Cyrus covered it. Miley Cyrus covered it. Unhappy Fourth of July covered it. Billy Eichner, more. And then Stephen uh, Colbert once more. It won't be long until the 19th Amendment is revoked. You started the Handmaid Tale in 2016, but the election, and now not only did it some ways seem prescient, but the red cloak and the white bonnet have become a symbol, part of the vocabulary of resistance of some of sort of backward-looking changes happening around, especially women's rights. By the way, folks, under Trump, what woman's right has been revoked? And the only gay or LGBT EIEAO issue that's been affected is transgenders in the army. That's it. Nothing has changed. Two, some Hollywood rage. And they're not afraid to speak their mind, yep. nor should they be. And I think that's another part of this that gets lost. And they're women. And they're mm-hmm. women, And they're too. women. Yes. Brown Thank women. He's brown not women. And so the other sort of thing that Donald Trump has done this week is he's used the same kind of attacks on Ilhan Omar that was used against you. Sure. Essentially trying to tie her to terrorism, this American congresswoman. This is the ultimate smear for white supremacists and bigots. And as we've talked about on the show, from the Daily Stormer, the white supremacists there came after me in 2017 when I wrote an article about Trump and saying he was coddling white supremacists. This is before Charlottesville. Yeah. And they had death threats against me. They smeared me saying I was involved in terrorism. Yep. Donald Trump's doing the same thing. That's the go-to for white supremacists. That's the go-to for neo-Nazis to smear Muslims as somehow that we're all involved in terrorism. Yeah. And look, we've seen a reduction in crime the last few years. We've seen an uptick in hate crimes the last yes. few years. Yeah. And this is tied to Donald Trump. This is a man who doesn't want just violence against Ilhan Omar. His base, they came after me. They, they'll come after, there's been a spike LGBT, anti-black hate crimes, mm-hmm. anti-Semitic hate crimes. Anyone that's not white, male, and Christian is under the gun and spotlight under Trump. And sadly, that's what he wants. And last thing, there have been mosques faced with the word Trump. Today, Trump is becoming a modern-day swastika. And people have to be aware, it's no longer a name. It's shorthand for a symbol of hate. Someone says, I like Trump. They're telling you, I'm in for white supremacy. I'm in for bigotry. I'm in for sexism. That's what Trump means now. And I think we have to be aware of it and call out bluntly. Yeah, I mean, Baron, to to that very point about the (coughs) actual increase in in hate crimes tied to Donald Trump, Southern Poverty Law Center uh, had an article out in February, White Supremacy Flourishes and Fears of Immigration and National Shifting shifting Demographics. The total number of hate groups rose to 1,020 in 2018, up about 7% from 2017. White nationalist groups alone surged by nearly 50% last Last year, going from 100 chapters to 148 in 2018 uh, in one year. You sent us a piece um, talking about the rise of anti-Muslim and anti-Arab hate crimes um, uh, in December 2015, the day of the attack on San Bernardino in December 2015, when Trump called for a Muslim ban that was the highest number since October of 2001. So he's directly starting to impact the actual activity uh, of violence. In the- Mayor Pete focused on his faith. We've got to talk about one other thing, because the Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. I don't know, Mayor. Nowadays, it's less of a cloak and more of a sheet. <laughs> Halfway. Rosie, you're going to be doing a vigil called Lights for Liberty, July 12th. 
demanding an end to the detention camps. Yeah, the concentration camps, even though there's a lot of controversy about the word, but actually legitimate scholars who have studied genocide say, yes, these are, in fact, the criteria for concentration camps. They meet them. There are over 100,000 camps in nearly every state. There's between 10 and 13,000 children. That could fill Radio City Music Hall twice. That's how many children unaccompanied alone in these... We have to come to terms with the reality that the daddy party is the asshole dad party now. And the patriarch of it all is a hot mess. And you know what happens when daddy's a useless piece of crap, right? Mom has to take over. And that's why Democrats, they're no longer the mommy party. They're the single mother party. They're, they're the party that has to work two jobs. Because daddy went out for cigarettes and never came back. <laughs> the single mother party now is the only one that cares about the kid's future. The Republicans, they're the, they're the party of the Koch brothers. Pollute all you want now because tomorrow, not our problem. We'll be gone. When Trump was in England last week, he was amazed at Prince Charles's concern for the planet and its longevity. He is really uh, into climate change. And what he really feels warmly about is the future. <laughs> what, what, what a weirdo, huh? <laughs> Caring about the future? Boy. Uh, Bill Barr was recently asked about his legacy. Does not care. He said, I'm at the end of my career. Everyone dies. Rudy Giuliani said the same thing. I don't care about my legacy. I'll be dead. Which is shocking. I thought he was dead. <laughs> so, so, happy Father's Day. But keep in mind, if Republicans made a commercial for life insurance, it would go like this. You love your family. What if you, what if you weren't there to take care of them? Oh, well, shit happens. <laughs> All right, that's our show. They're the most vacant group of people. I, I, we talked about this on the radio. Devil worshippers has a high, have a higher standard than he does. Yeah. Devil worshippers have you couldn't be a pedophile. You can't speak bad about people. You can't take things from people. Like you could worship the devil and be a better human being than if you worship Donald Trump. Like hmm. honestly, I'm not even. Look up the tenets of the Church and of I Satan. I didn't believe it and looked it up. It's <laughs> look up true. the tenets of the Church of Satan. I don't know why I know this, but look at yeah. <laughs> the Church of Satan. Myself, and then go to a Trump rally, and you'll feel safer around Beelzebub than this. None of that would be authorized under Trump. You couldn't. I mean, under Obama, under any Democratic president, refuse to go to the White House, you lose your fucking job. I just want to highlight that late night TV will still continue on its perilous path of only talking to 29% of the country that fucking hates whites, Christians, uh, gun owners, etc., etc. Because when a Democrat takes over in 2020, it'll not the search, what do we bash? And it'll probably be people protesting the president or disparaging the president. And we'll go back to... The same old thing. You can't disparage America, the president. You can't talk about the president when he's on a foreign trip. All the rules will come back. Chuck Todd will get out his little fucking white uh, mess dress and get back on what's decorum. This is decorum. 
But we're still in the age of the most patriotic thing you can do as an American is disparage the President of the United States. That lasts until a Democrat becomes President. Google engineer, CEO Sundar Picha testimony wasn't true. The Google CEO did testify under oath that Google's algorithms are politically unbiased. Was he lying? I definitely don't think it's true. He also said, questioning whether statements from other Google executives in the hearing have been truthful, Coppola said, I see Google executives go to Congress and say that algorithms are not manipulated. It's not political. And I'm just so sure that's not true. I have a PhD. I have five years of experience at Google. I just know how algorithms are. You don't write, they don't write themselves. We write them to do what we want them to do. You can use machine learning, but even then you can't get the results from machine learning that you want. This is troubling, especially considering the views that most people at Google hold. Coppola expressed his concern at seeing big tech and the big media merge basically with the Democratic Party. As the election started to ramp up, the angle that the Democrats and the media took was that anyone who liked Donald Trump was a racist, even a Nazi. These beliefs infiltrated the minds of those making search engine algorithms. Coppola said he looks at search and Google News and he see what it's doing. When it came to Google News, Coppola was convinced that it was manipulated in favor of Trump opposition. He said Google News is just an ag- aggregator of just a handful of sites Those sites really are vitriolically against Trump, which I would consider to be interference in the American election. He then referenced Google's heavy reliance on CNN. CNN is the most commonly used source. 20% of results about Trump are from CNN. Yeah. Levitard remains at ESPN. He got a nasty note. I'd read this, but it didn't go anywhere. Then we ran a huge article in the Atlantic the millennial left is tired of waiting. Sakat Chabarati, AOC's chief of staff, is working to build a generational movement. This article is fucking horrible. I won't read it for time, but if you can research it, it is unbelievable. This piece of shit is the next coming of David Axelrod, they're saying. To our tweets of the day. Apple contractors regularly hear confidential details on Siri recording. Workers hear drug deals, medical details, and people fucking. If you didn't think that was already happening, you're fucking stupid. That's why I always say Google sucks all the time. Because they're listening right now. They're listening to my podcast. I got my phone in here. They're listening. The Washington Post, among media outlet willing to do yeoman's work to keep the Democrat narrative about 2016 alive, James Toronto did this great, great, great screed, and it goes a little something like this. January, or excuse me, July 20th, 2018, the entire Republic Party is becoming a Russian asset. January 13th, 2019, here are 18 reasons Trump could be a Russian asset. July 26, 2019. Mitch McConnell is a Russian asset. A person that replied, if it weren't for Russia asset conspiracy theories, would the Washington Post even have a reason to exist? And then Todd McIntyre. Periodically, I forget just how bad they were and are. Fortunately, they're the best of the web archives to remind and entertain. 
Washington Post, Obama as a father figure. In an election where the president is betting the House on a message of trust, his image as a father figure could help him win over voters. You remember those days? I do. And the media just constantly fell over themselves, slobbering to say, the dear one is so dear. Then we got David Hogg. Donald Trump is a fascist. Adam Baldwin pretty much sums it up and is our tweet of the day. Yet somehow you're free to write this. Really break it down, boys and girls. He's a racist. You have no proof. He's a fascist. Yet you can say he's a fascist. Burn down cities. Beat people up who wear red hats. As is stated on this podcast more than once, the only fascists I see are Democrats and progressive left. You're the fascist. You tell people what to eat, whether they can reproduce. Jesus Christ, folks. Have you looked in a mirror? To a music break, another Lincoln Park live in Texas. First one somewhere I belong. This is from the inside. And we'll go into our news. Social media nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me Bad Company. I can deny Bad Company till the day I die. Till the day I die. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military Corner, SCOTUS blog. SCOTUS allows Trump administration to use $2.5 billion in military funds to construct part of a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. That went through legalese. They lost. Suck it up, buttercup. Army Reserve soldier killed when tree falls during storm at Fort Pickett. That is horrible. God be with his family. 68 years after disappearing during Korean War, this soldier is finally home. Corporal Charles Stanley Lawler is home. The former Traverse City resident remains arrived at Cherry Capital Airport Thursday afternoon, 68 years after he disappeared in the Korean War battle. A parade of police vehicles and veterans on motorcycle rolled with the hearse, taking lawyer Lawler, sorry, on his second trip, second to last trip to Covell Funeral Home, where a military honor guard awaited People came out, sorry, I had a page freeze, pay tribute that hot afternoon to the 1st Cavalry Division member who disappeared on November 2nd, 1950, near Unsan in North Korea, according to his obituary and Department of Defense information. His last ride Saturday will take him to a burial plot next to his mother, Elise Otto, and Robert Rangner. Uh, let me try to get it. One of the lawyer's friends was part of a battalion situated behind Lawler's. The enemy hit his position hard, and he was wounded in the legs. He all but knew Lawler hadn't hadn't survived. He never would tell Chuck's mother that he got killed, Wagner said. He knew he did, but never would tell her that. He knew how much it would hurt her. The Army listed Lawler as dead in 1953, and the family received a Purple Heart in his honor, Wagner said. It took a presidential visit abroad and some laboratory detectives' work to bring Lawler home. North Korean officials returned 55 sets of remains as part of an agreement Trump and Kim Jong-un reached at the Singapore summit in June 19, June 2018. Army National Guard Sergeant First Class Amanda Taylor said she's the, the casualty assistance officers, officer assigned to help the Wagners and said at first Lawler was returned in Box 9. The number became a name thanks to a DNA hit and other tests at the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency. That is fucking unbelievable. But the media <clears throat> didn't even... I never saw a media report about 58 remains. Only military media. This brings us into a bad stretch of crime. I mean, it's just bad. I, I, I usually cover positive military stories, but this is just back-to-back-to-back to back to back dumbass. 
The first one, soldier arrested after run-in with Korean police during curfew suspension test. U.S. soldier signed to South Korea is under investigation after allegedly attempting to steal a taxi and striking a Korean national police officer over the weekend. The incident comes about a month after U.S. forces... U.S. forces Korea lifted its long-standing curfew for troops on the peninsula, and has the attention of Army General Robert Adams, Adam Abrams, excuse me, who said we are aware of the incident involving a U.S. soldier in KNP and Itaewon over the weekend are cooperating fully with the legal authorities. The suspension of the curfew on the peninsula was intended to serve as a 90-day evaluation period, ending September 17th, to assess whether the curfew can be lifted permanently. Incidents like this jeopardize that possibility. Mmm, what a fucking dumbass. ET1 isn't even nice anymore. At least it wasn't in 2000. Back in 90, you can go buy anything. Buy a pair of Nikes, some dude made in his fucking garage. It's fucking amazing. Next one, Marine vet sentenced to four years in federal prison for scamming money from Gold Star Mom. Marine veteran John Shannon Simpson was sentenced for four years of federal prison after pleading guilty to wire fraud. Simpson was ordered to pay a restitution of 141709 bucks to the victims of his charity scam dubbed Marines and Mickey. What a fucking piece of shit. Then we got the SEALs. Multiple. Navy SEAL platoon removed from Iraq over reports of sexual assault and alcohol. They all drank. When I was with the, I think it was third group and uh, Organy, they had lockers, or uh, foot lockers full of fucking hooch, which we were all jealous of because we had general order number one, no alcohol. Special Operation Commander decision to remove a Navy SEAL platoon from Iraq centered around allegations that a senior enlisted member of the team raped a female comrade, the New York Times reported Thursday. The Navy is investigating a report that a member of SEAL Team 7, Foxtrot Platoon, sexually assaulted a female service member attached to the platoon, according to the Times. Some members of the platoon also allegedly drank during a 4th of July celebration, a defense official confirmed, which was prohibited in Iraq. A spokesman for U.S. Special Operations Command declined to comment on an ongoing investigation, but when commanders began investigating the report of wrongdoing, the entire platoon invoked their Fifth Amendment right. Jesus Christ. And, of course, the New York Times took this into, there's so much sexual harassment, women are being raped left and right, blah, blah, blah. SEAL Team 6 member charged with impersonating someone to get nude photos. What the fuck, dude? You're a SEAL! Women throw their panties at you. Why the fuck would you do this? A member of Navy's elite SEAL Team 6 who was named in Sailors of the Year in 2016 has been charged with pretending to be someone else catfishing over text messages so he can get nude photographs from a woman. Petty Officer First Class Aaron Howard faces a general court-martial at Norfolk, although his civilian defense attorney is seeking to have the case dismissed during a hearing next week. The case is thrusting the ordinary secretive naval special warfare community into an uncomfortable spotlight. On Wednesday, platoon, plop, got it. And earlier this week, Navy reported that members of Virginia-based SEAL Team 10 routinely used cocaine or were able to cheat drug tests before they were caught last year. Howard's case began with a broader investigation into spoofing the practice of disguising a communication to make it appear to be a trusted source, a Naval Special Warfare Development Group, or DEVRU, 
According to defense attorney Mike Waddington, he said someone was using a program to send text messages from fake phone numbers to SEALs and others in the Virginia B Space Command, which is also known as DevGrew, or more popularly as SEAL Team 6. If you want to embarrass DevGrew and create a lot of dis- dissension in the ranks, it would be easy to text different people, he said. This goes beyond this asking for a photograph. Charge sheets acute Howard are pretending to be multiple people to request the pictures of a naked woman. It sounds like the defense is going to be, that's all bullshit. Hmm. Then, once again, Navy and Marines fucking up by the number. 16 Marines nabbed during morning formation on drug people smuggling charges. 16 junior enlisted infantry Marines were arrested Thursday during a morning formation for alleged human and drug smuggling crimes as part of a widespread and ongoing investigation. Leaders with 1st Marine Division have been working with the Naval Criminal Investigation Service to carry out the arrest during a battalion-wide formation at Camp Pendleton. I then referred to a story from Task and Purpose how the arrest of those 16 Marines at Camp Pendleton actually went down. We're expecting to hear something like Sergeant Major yelling Marines to be arrested center march, but the real-life version of what happened on Thursday when 16 Marines from 1st Battalion, 5th Marine Regiment were arrested was far less dramatic. A viral Facebook post from a formal Air Force service member claimed to have the story which said that the Sergeant Major of the unit, Sergeant Major Matthew Dorsey, essentially faked an awards ceremony before having the Marines nabbed by NCIS. It didn't really go down that way, according to Major Kendra Motts, a spokesman for 1st Marine Division. It didn't happen that way at all, Motts told Task and Purpose. There was no ceremony involved in the whole thing. Instead, it was a much more like a Sergeant Major holding a clipboard calling out names. With his battalion of roughly 1,200 Marines in front of him, Dorsey rattled off the names of 16 Marines between the ranks of Private, First Class, and Corporal. They then broke ranks and ran to the front. They lined up in front of the formation. Then once everyone was lined up, they were arrested. There was no ceremony nor red folders. It was just your garden variety mass arrest of more than a dozen Marines intended to strike fear into everyone else. To not do dumb shit, such as alleged involvement in various illegal activities ranging from human smuggling to drug-related offenses. The arrest of the 16 could be traced back to the case of two Marine infantrymen, Lance Corporal Byron Law and Lance Corporal David Javier Salazar Cuatero. If you got a hyphen name and you're a drug smuggler, you're a douchebag, who were pulled over and arrested by Border Patrol on July 3rd along with three undocumented immigrants in the back seat as they were allegedly trying to make a quick buck shuttling people from Mexico in the United States, according to a federal court complaint. These motherfuckers watch narcos. According to July 3rd complaint, Law told Border Patrol that he was an active-duty Marine and dimmed out Salazar Quintero, dimed out, excuse me, as the organizer of the smuggling operation. Law stated that last night Salazar called and asked him if he was willing to make a hundred or a thousand dollars picking up an illegal alien, the complaint said. On July 2nd, Law said they both traveled to Jacumba, California, while being guided via cell phone instructions from an unknown Mexican Mexico number, the complaint said. Then they picked up a single immigrant and brought him into McDonald parking lot in Del Mar, it continued. The next day, Law said Salazar picked him up for another job. This time, they both went to the same area and picked up three illegals. They made about $8,000. Sweet Jesus. That's fucking horrible. GOP lawmaker gets us out of the ugly. He's concerned over reported UFO sightings by Navy pilots. 
Representative Mark Walker from North Carolina said Fox News told Fox News Friday that he's concerned about recent reports by U.S. Navy pilots of encountering with unidentified aircraft that have that some have speculated could be otherworldly. We're concerned about it as the ranking member of terrorism and counterintelligence. And we have a question comes down to some of the new infrared radar systems that we're putting on some of our new jets or detecting some things out there. And it goes to massive, huge amount of spotting by aircraft of a snake-like UFO, which we reported like three podcasts ago. There's all sorts of stories on it. Unbelievable. And then last but not least, more essential gear for your raid on Area 51. Um, the first story... Storm Area 51 turnout overwhelms Nevada town. They have like 54 residents. There's not it's not a big town, but they've had phone numbers like crazy and now we're up to 1 million. Yeah. 1 million people have signed up for this shit. Um so Task of Purpose did a funny story and it goes a little something like this. Our list of essential gear for the Area 51 Raiders inspired a lot of discussion and commentary from Military.com readers, and we picked out a few of the best ideas and compiled them here. A Facebook group called Storm Area 51, that can't stop us all, has announced a plan to confront the Air Force on Friday, September 20th, revealed just what the military is hiding in those secret labs in the Nevada desert. It's a high-risk venture, but one one that more than 1.3 million people believe will finally answer the question that presidents from Truman to Trump have refused to answer. If you're loading up the RV and heading for the desert in September, here are a few more things for your alien hunter kit. Bonus, a couple of members raised some interesting points about America's upcoming Day of Discovery. Despite all your team's superior intel, things can get hairy once you're in the field. Leah Sampson cites... It's a trap. It's hangers filled with boring paperwork and S1 clerks. <laughs> but <clears throat> they also say, Steve Mars does, bring a lot of KY jelly. I hear they love to probe. <laughs> Communication is a key. This baby can handle any challenge you will throw at it. You've got to be able to understand whatever language the universe throws the universe throws at you. Don't forget your universal translator, and it's a picture of a speaking spell. <laughs> Prepare to celebrate your victory. Arnold always knew the virtue of a good cigar. It's a big picture of fucking the, the commando. Be like Arnold. Bust out a fine Cohiba after you complete your mission. Snowflakes can suck on their vape pens. Don't forget the cigars. They always smoke cigars after defeating aliens. Well, maybe this bunch is better off with vapes. You need a secret weapon. Freddy the Flute from H.R. Puffin Stuff. (laughs) Next, want to bet? Maybe ESPN and Fox News should team up with Caesar Palace to make this an event that everyone can enjoy Robert Ferris. I just wanted to know if it's going to be a pay-per-view event. Nothing to see here. Move along. Here's a good question. Why would the aliens be hiding out in a warehouse when they could be producing productive members of American society? Kathleen McNally. Jeez, just my family old photo album in there, along with a list of our names and occupations, locations. It's really no big deal. We aren't being held in Area 51. We walks amongst you. Why such hype? We look like people too. And it's true. So I thought that was pretty good. 
Our last one, and I screwed up because I thought that was the last one, but this one is, to be, to no surprise, CBS cancels Marine courtroom drama, The Code. It seemed doomed from the start. And i got to read this article because I bitched about it ever since it came on the air. Shaggy, out-of-regulation haircuts, incorrect ordered ribbon stacks, the blossom new rose from one episode to the next, nonsensical military court proceedings, Marines referred to as soldiers, uniform violation, uniform violation, and worst of all, more uniform violations. No matter how many codes or standards the directors, writers, or actors of CBS highly touted courtroom drama attempted to adhere to, elementary-level research to ensure accuracy was never won. As a result, the show, which CBS once hailed as a journey through the professional and personal lives of some military's brightest legal minds in the courtroom, where each attorney is trained as a prosecutor, a defense lawyer, an investigator, and a Marine, has been canceled. The announcement that came just one day after the show's inaugural season concluded. Dana Delaney, Delaney, who played Colonel Glenn Turnbull on the one-and-done courtroom drama, confirmed the announcement Tuesday, tweeting, Thank you all, you wonderful people who watched The Code. Last night was our finale, and sadly, no more. I'll never make general, but I love this cast of stellar actors, and know we'll meet again. Semper Fidelis, Colonel Turnbull, Turnbull may never make general, but at least her uniforms are generally terrible. What are those sleeves? She did have weird fucking sleeves. They were longer than everybody else's. This looks like one of those slip-ups when a uniform is taken in last-minute desperation to clueless tailor with no military uniform experience. A sad soul was then asked to accuracy play, accurately place chevrons. It's impossible. Top of four, uh, uh, did Colonel Turnbull find service Bravo shirt and try to turn it into Charlie shirt? Why are all the sleeves in this photo set a different length? Why are none of her Marines pointing out the flaw? Why is Colonel Turnbull's shirt on its way to becoming a three-quarter sleeve baseball shirt? (laughs) Why am I yelling, the article says. So heinous a routine where the show's gas at the popular military podcast, Zero Blog 30, traveled to the U.S. Capitol building in Washington to protest the show's content, some of which was being received less favorably than select war crimes. We're not asking. It's time for legislative action against the code. (laughs) If the rapidly soaring laundry list of inaccuracies was not already triggering enough, veteran skeptics, the show's occasional promotional tweets were here to seal the deal. Leading up to one of the dismal episodes, a tweet from the show's official Twitter account riled the masses for what seemed to be questioning the rudimentary capabilities of women in the Corps. Could Lieutenant Harper Lee balance her duties to the Corps with planning her wedding? Find out in the next episode. The tweet, screenshot below, was subsequently deleted following intense ridicule. The official Twitter account for CBS's The Code posed a plot question that many found insulting towards women in the military. Blatantly obvious ethical issues aside, how dare the show question Marines' ability to get married? Marriages and subsequent separations, after all, are one of the uh, vertebral sections that make up the backbone of the Marine Corps. It's not every Marine who's ever pinned on the coveted eagle globe and anchor installed with a core value of honor, courage, and about six to nine months' commitment. Never in the field of human compassion with so much resentment, so much settlement money owed by so many to so few unsatisfied ex-spouses. Rough wind and terrible seas for the code. And I thought it was pretty freaking funny. I was going to play a soundbite of them dogging it, but it's, it's just me 
just like me, making fun of it. So let's get into our college crazy. What if I told you that I actually used to be in Antifa, and what I've seen is that it's very widespread. It's not just a few people. There's oh. a lot of them. Okay. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at George Mason University talking to students about Antifa and whether they should be labeled a terrorist organization for some of their violent tactics. I'm joined by Gabe Nadales, former member of Antifa, to see what students have to say. The definition of terrorism is using violence or threats of violence to achieve political means. Mm -hmm. Do you think Antifa falls under that? Well, I think if they're starting, you know, fights and things at rallies, uh, with at Trump's rallies, then I think so, because people get hurt, people get, you know, killed, and those rallies can get very dangerous. So if they're going there with the purpose to, you know, incite violence, I think that's definitely a terrorist organization. If they're, if they're creating violence, then yeah. Any violence for a political reason is by definition terrorism. I guess if they are going and attacking people, I guess that would that be considered a terrorist group? Yeah. Yeah, well, the definition of terrorism is to enact, uh, use violence for a political goal. So do you think that Antifa follows this rule? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? That's, yeah, that's bad. That's really bad. If that's what they're doing, then yeah, they should be. I wouldn't go as far as, say, domestic terrorist group. The definition of terrorism is using violence to achieve political means. This group is clearly doing that, bragging about being a militant group, using violence and intimidation. So does that, under that definition of terrorism, do you see the point they're making? If they are using violence and intimidation, then yeah. Do you think groups like Antifa uh, reflect negatively on the left as a whole? Oh yeah, definitely. They make us look more violent. I just think, you know, violence isn't really going to get anyone to listen from either party. I don't think it's going to solve anything. Violence is not the right way. I don't like that. I mean, even though I don't support Trump, I don't think violence is necessarily the answer. Violence is never the answer. I think there's been some instances um, of violence. I think, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if it necessarily represents everybody in, you know, in the group, but, um, yeah, I think definitely it seems like they've used violence. I think there's better ways to handle things. So, so you don't think it's representative of the whole group? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, well, what if I told you that I actually used to be in Antifa and that uh, this was very much commonplace and without widespread the, the whole organization? So, wait, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? So, what if I told you that I actually used to be in Antifa and what I've seen is that it's very widespread. It's not just a few people. There's oh. a lot of them. Okay, well, I mean, I think a first-hand account from someone who used to be in it is... Uh, a good source of yeah opinion so all right so you think you think that a lot of people most of the people in it were violent i think that there's a tendency to be violent there's okay. a lot of people while not everybody engaged in violence i think that there was a tendency that the to the attitude that said that yeah this is okay so how about you <laughs> I wanted, this is interesting. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I personally, I never hurt anybody, but I do, uh, I do, I have witnessed a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. while I was in Antifa, fascism. I mean, it's not like we had a revolution. President Obama was president. We had an election. And now we have a new president. The government didn't change. The whole concept of fascism. I mean, you know, that that's that's ridiculous. And that word is. I mean, that's like comparing Trump to Hitler. It's it's you know impolite, rude, and just wrong are not the right words. Oh, well, hello there. I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. 
Thanks so much for watching. If you want to join our team, we're always looking for new investigators, correspondents, and tipsters. Click right here to learn more about that. If you want to donate to help us make more videos like the one you just saw, click that button there. And if you want to be among the first person to see all of our new content, click that subscribe button right over there. Thanks so much. Hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear you click anything. Um, did they click one yet? That is from uh, Campus Reform, former Antifa member, asked students if, if groups should be put on terror organization, and they say yes. That surprised the shit out of me. Alleged Antifa member who disrupted college Republican meeting will not face charges. The King County Prosecuting Attorney Offices told Campus Reform that the individual arrested after police say he attempted to chain lock a door of a room in which college Republicans were meeting in will not be charged with any crime. We're declining to prosecute because based on the facts presented, it is unlikely that we would be able to prove he intentionally committed the crime of disorderly conduct beyond a reasonable doubt. While we can speculate, the purpose of the suspect's use of the chain is not entirely clear since there were other doorway exits in the class. Let's just understand that is Washington. They're scared of Antifa, but you can guarantee if conservative group locks some college students in a group, they would get the death penalty in Washington, Oregon, California, New York. Come on, people. UCLA student hosts vigil to end attention camps. Student groups at University of California, Los Angeles hosted a vigil to end attention camps early in July, sponsored by the Immigrant Youth Task Force and the Undocumented Students and Allies at UCLA. The event was attended by students and even children. The Daily Bruin reported the vigil was planned to protest the inhumane conditions hundreds of immigrant families are currently facing in detention camps across the country. And we didn't care when Obama did it because Obama was a god. Professor, Trump rallies like rallies that Adolf Hitler had. How many Nazi references can we get in? Seriously, folks. Multiple university mental health specialties hosted an online event criticizing Trump for allegedly inciting his supporters to violence, which one psychiatrist even compared Trump to Hitler. During the Tuesday event, George Washington University psychiatrist James Mercagas compared Trump to Nazi leader Adolf uh, Hitler. The way he gins up the crowd with his chants and with his incitement to violence is reminiscent of the Nuremberg rallies that Adolf Hitler had. This is very, very scary. We believe Trump is a danger to the public. We predict he would deteriorate under the pressure of his presidency. It appears to be what is happening. Another psychiatrist, James Gilligan, from the New York University, wow, accused Trump of being dangerous to an unprecedented degree in our history. What we are seeing is now how he has succeeded in stimulating racial prejudice and a fear of hated, hatred of immigrant and foreigners. What I'm alarmed by is the effect he is giving, having on the public. He urged voters not to vote for Trump, and we urge voters not to vote for Trump in 2020 if Congress didn't already impeach him prior to the election. What we found, though, Mr. Mueller's report was alarming, said Harvard Medical Professor Glass. The president failed every criterion for rational and reality-based decision-making capabilities. 
if you're in your house coat and slippers, you need to go out and protest those Republicans. Obama said it all the time. You need to protest. Those led to violence. Ferguson. Fucking the kid with Skittles and the fucking Snapple. Trayvon Martin. He directly got involved with that. Violence happened from it. Did anybody say it was his fault? No, because it shouldn't be his fault. Just like it's not Trump's fault for him to gin up his crowd. The amount of Trump ginning compared to what Obama did for eight years is so small. Obama campaigned November 9th, 2008, boys and girls. I don't care what you say. Hamlin University offers social justice major complete with gender politics course. I'm not reading it. That's a major. Because I'm not reading it because it's trumped by Middlebury College offers courses on zombies, misogyny, and masculinity. Private liberal art college in Vermont is offering courses such as American misogyny, decolonizing zombies. American misogyny seeks to explore the place of misogyny in the U.S. media and politics. The course description states, students will learn about topics such as black backlash against second wave feminism, the rise of post-feminism, and the impact of reality TV and social media on feminist and anti-feminist expression. Of course, state students will consider how discourse of misogyny are inflected by white, cisgendered, ableist, ageist, and class privilege. And we'll conclude by examining how misogyny informs U.S. culture and politics in the Trump era. A separate course titled Gender and the Making of Space investigates the complex relationship between gender and architecture. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Then their course, Decolonizing Zombies, in which students will get the chance to study a number of zombie movies with a focus on theories of race, gender, coloniality, incoclasm, and queer temporality. I don't even know what that is. According to the description, the course will have global approach, will allow students to dive into neoliberalism, cannibalism, genocide, dysphoria, virus spread, and political criticism. The main goal is to expose colonial structures embedded in the representation of zombies, as well as in the making of the genre. They also have a feminist blogging course. That's going to be a grade. I got to look that up. Queer temporality. Let's look that up, boys and girls, because... You know, the left's really big on just making up fucking shit. This is one of those made-up shits. Queer temporality. Google's going to give it to me. Uh, Let's go definition. Because there's like 800 schools. That's what came up. Visible mask of homosexuality by trying to bow away. Okay, this is this. Here we go. We're learning something, boys and girls. Queer temporality and postmodern geographies. How can a 
relational system be reached through sexual practice? Is it possible to create a homosexual mode of life? To be gay, I think, is not to identify with the psychological traits and the visible mask of the homosexual, but we're trying to define and develop a way of life. Michael Folkalt. Okay, that's not going to be addition. This book makes the, the perhaps overly ambitious claim that there is such a thing as queer time and queer space. Queer uses of time and space develop, at least in part, in opposition to the institutions of family, heterosexuality, and reproduction. They also develop according to other logics of location, movement, and identification. We try to think about queerness as an outcome of strange temporalities, imaginative life schedules, the eccentric economic practice. We detach queerness from sexual identity and come closer to understanding Foucault's comments and friendship as a way of life. That homosexuality threatens people as a way of life rather than a way of having sex. And Foucault's radical formulation, queer friendships, queer networks, and the existence of these relations in space and in relation to the use of time mark the particular and indeed the perceived menace of homosexual life. They made that shit up. I don't care what you say. That's just a bunch of bullshit. Let's move on. I didn't learn anything. I got stupider. You Penn study on racism in Trump area smashes the left's narrative. Recent study from the University of Pennsylvania finds that racism in America has significantly decreased since Trump election in 2016, directly contradicting the narrative pushed among many academics and mainstream media personality. The rise in Trump, the fall of prejudice, tracking white Americans' racial attitudes, 2008 to 2018, via a panel survey was authored by UPenn political science professor Daniel J. Hopkins, and research assistant Samantha Washington. Hopkins, in an article for 538, detailed on Tuesday the study, which uses 13 waves of panel surveys to gather data and determine that white racial prejudice against African Americans and Hispanic Americans has declined since 2016 when Trump was elected president. Hopkins noted that the fall in prejudice was present for both Democrats and Republicans. Hopkins and Washington's, according to the study, voiced their opinions on Trump and his statements. As a political leader, Trump has used racist rhetoric to build political support. In his campaign in the first few years in office, Donald Trump consistently defied contemporary norms by using explicit negative rhetoric targeting ethnic racial minorities. Did this rhetorical... Rhetoric lead white Americans to express more prejudiced views of African Americans or Hispanics, whether through the normalization of prejudice or other mechanisms? The study co-authors asked at other point in the study. Ultimately, though, the study found that the racist rhetoric from the president has not resulted in more racist attitudes among Americans. We find that via most measures, white Americans expressed anti-black and anti-Hispanic prejudice declined after the 2016 campaign election, and we can rule out even small increases in the expression of prejudice, the study abstract states. This new finding contradicts ongoing public perception. A Quinnipiac University poll found in 2018 that 55% of survey respondents believe that President Trump has emboldened people to hold racist beliefs, according to the study. Latino approval of President Trump has skyrocketed to 50%. We've had the lowest Latino unemployment in history under Trump. Yoel 
Valdez, a Mexican American and recent study at the University of Illinois, recent student, University of Illinois, Urban Champaign, Latinos and African Americans are pro- pro- prospering under Trump administration, yet according to the left and mainstream media, you'd expect worse. Valdez, who's also an intern at the Leadership Institute, campus reform parent organization, continued. As a Latino, I'm told to expect rampant racism, but that's not America today or one I've experienced, especially under Trump. Hopkins, however, explains that he believes that president has been elevating racially charged issues. For a president who has routinely made appeal to white voters' racial anxiety, it seems sound counterintuitive that white Americans have become less prejudiced since this election. Even if Americans aren't becoming more racist or average racist rhetoric, like Trump's attacks on Democratic Congresswomen, still can reshape the political environment. The UPenn result also come amidst a time during which many politicians have labeled Trump a racist. Yeah. This one won't make CNN. She verbally consented to sex, but the school determined he committed sexual assault because he cajoled her. Penn State University includes several abnormalities, including the school's decision to review the first hearing to students' alleged sexual misconduct and the decision to change the definition of consent in the middle of the disciplinary proceeding. John Doe, as he referred to in court documents reviewed by the Daily Wire, was accused of sexually assaulting a student referred to as Jane Doe at the end of January 2018. The two had met the previous spring since they were both part of Shares Honor College, and on January 26, 2018, the two met up again in a computer lab and started talking. Then they started flirting, and Jane put her number into John's phone, according to the lawsuit, and texted herself, I love you. The two continued to flirt for several days, and Jane even spent time in John's dorm room on his bed. She told him she didn't want to be friends with benefits. On January 27, 2018, Jane told John her roommate was out and gave him her dorm number. Just went to her room at 1 a.m. and the two talked and began kissing. John's lawsuit claims that Jane initiated con- accusations lined up with his own memory of the incident. He performed several sexual acts on her but stopped as soon as she asked and that she told him to stay in her room when she went to the bathroom and then provided him with a condom. The two engaged in sexual intercourse. After the encounter, Jane continued to flirt with John over his text messages and allegedly told her friend she wanted to have sex with him again. The lawsuit claims Jane later changed her account of the sexual encounter to claim that John physically forced her into sex and she tried to get away from him. And blah, 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 that's the old thing. He didn't want to have a relationship. She got pissed. She used sex as a weapon. And now the school is saying, hey, he put the moves on her, so she's a fucking victim. Doesn't that go against feminism? These far left women are always the victim, but yet you're so powerful. There's even Ford commercials, like a lioness and a bear, <laughs> trying to sell cars to strong women. Or maybe it's GMC. Co-parenting lesbian and trans women terrorize Harvard professor with Title IX. On July 23rd, New York Magazine published perhaps the most egregious case of liberal insanity you'll ever find in print and text. A story you have to read to believe. The 7,000-word tr- true story was written by journalist Kara Belonkin, and it encapsulates the mangled family lives and harrowing decadence that is characteristic of our country's most elite institutions. In a nutshell, a self-identified lesbian slept with a liberal Harvard professor, supposedly fell in love with him, got pregnant, and tried to shame him into leaving his family. The seducress, named Maria Fia Schumann of France, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, 
then teamed up with her co-parent, a transgender female graduate student named Misha Hader, which means she's a dude, to accuse Professor Bruce Hay of rape and sexual assault, abusing the lack of due process in university's Title IX courts. The family situation in the story will make any sensible person's head spin. Schumann co-parents her two toddlers with her ex-wife, along with Hader and Andrew Klein, Hader's boyfriend at first, Hay praised the family as nearly perfect people with New York Magazine composed striking, distinct modern portrait. Hay himself divorced his wife in 99, but moved back with his ex-wife in 2004 to raise their children. The relationship was mostly platonic, but they agreed not to romantically pursue each other while still living together. Hay erroneously believed that casual flings fell under a tacit don't-ask-don't-tell policy with his ex-wife, which landed him in a nightmare that would quickly ruin his life. Encompassing pretty much everything wrong with our society, this story checks all the boxes. Divorce, depression, erosion of due process, hookup culture, upending, upended family structure, gender affirmation surgeries, trans activist fake news, Title IX abuse, punitive litigation procedures, child molestation, ivory tower delusion, identity politics as a religion, deranged cosmopolitan, and even erectile dysfunction. The final third of the article reveals that Schumann had run similar legal schemes against other men. Every other story went by the same script. Schumann has a sexual encounter with a man, says he's the father of a child with no proof, and then accuses him of rape, all in the attempt to ruin their lives. Speaking of motives, a text purportedly from Schumann states, I just really hate the patriarchy. That's it. The article antagonist refused to provide a comment, saying the story conjured stereotypes and nativist tropes to exact revenge against Misha Hader for filing a Title IX complaint against him. According to Hay, who said he doesn't blame Harvard for initially taking the side of the woman, Harvard barred him from teaching and forced him to undergo coaching for boundary issues. The characters in this story exactly personify the people mean when they talk about coastal elites. The real kicker is that Hay and Hader co-wrote op-eds for Guardian and Huffington Post about the need for anti-discrimination bathroom bills and to block Gore's Supreme Court nomination. These are the Ivy Tower elites who preach to deplorable everyday Americans. Jesus Christ. That's just that's just a freaking thesis statement right there, man. Half this shit's faux and used as a crutch to get ahead. So is the faux outrage over what white people do. White designer accused of cultural appropriation after marketing silk nightcap. On July 19th, Fashion Magazine published an interview with the entrepreneur Sarah Marnes Lindeberg. If you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. I gotta say it, folks. I just can't help it. Who markets and sells a product called the Nightcap. When a dermatologist told Lindeberg that her long hair might be contributing to her breakouts, she began to search for a thing. She came up with a white silk cap to put on her head. Now, anybody who's been in the military or hung out with African Americans, you know they all wear silk caps. Here comes the outrage. Drusilla! Oh, Canada, still praising Christopher Columbus, still sweeping stuff under the rug. Anyone can turn the corner and give a small business owner their money at a beauty supply store for a bonnet. So many eyes saw this article. This isn't groundbreaking. This is erasure. Do better, Canada. Michael Doriser, 
There were products on the market, but none of them had a functional and fashionable solution for me. Synthetic fabrics that I felt like did more damage and horrible colors, and I felt silly going to sleep in. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. There were products on the market, but none of them had a functional and fashionable solution for me. You're a racist. Dr. Karen James. This isn't your grandmother's silk hair wrap, emphasis added. Seriously, as a white woman with curly hair and the internet, I can say with 100% confidence there's no way she did not know about bonnets and that they were invented by black women. I am Nikki Free. This is straight up foolishness. Now what a white woman is marketing something black women have worn and perfected for at least all my 46 years. It's a thing. Get the fuck out of here. This is straight up foolishness. Now, oh Jesus fucking Christ, I'm not reading anymore. Then there was this one, which I never read, so this might have merit. So I'll hold my indignation. Black rag dolls meant to be abused or pulled from a store. Black rag dolls that came with instructions, find a wall and slam the toy against it, has been pulled from three stores after customers and, and a lawmaker said they were offensive. The Feel Better doll featured instructions to whack the doll whenever things don't go well and you want to hit the wall and yell. President of One Dollar Zone said roughly one thousand dolls were pulled this week from its store in Bayonne and two others in New Jersey. The dolls were made of black fabric and yarn, hair of red, green, black, and yellow in style of dreadlocks, and featured large white eyes and a white smile. Okay, that's probably bad. <laughs> that's probably you might want to thought that motherfucker out. I mean, you should have had it white. You could have marketed it as Kill Honky, and it would sell like wildcats. Amazon would feature it. Google would do stories. Washington Post would have it in their articles. It would be great. As rats overrun California cities, this is liberalism, my friends, state moves to ban powerful pest killers. Yeah, yeah, I said that. The rats are winning. There were so many earlier this summer outside the Cal EPA building in downtown Sacramento, officials had to close its outdoor playground out of fear state employees' kids would catch rodent-borne diseases. To fight back, building officials set out a controversial type of rat poison which whose use may soon be banned statewide by California. The poisons didn't stay out very long once word got out the state top environmental regulators were using a poison widely condemned by California's powerful environmental groups. Effective immediately on pulling, putting a moratorium on the use of rodent sides around the 101 I Street building, Cal EPA Agency Undersecretary Sarah McQueen said on June 19th. We will continue to monitor the situation daily and will work aggressively to find effective, less toxic alternatives. The rats versus pesticide fight at the building that houses the Department of Pesticide Regulations couldn't have been more carefully designed to highlight the complexities of two budding crises in California. The state is seeing a troubling resurgence of rodents, which can carry a wide array of diseases that have been around since the Middle Ages. The Metagopolis of Los Angeles County, for one, has seen skyrocketing cases of one such disease, typhus. At the same time, researchers are finding widely used rodent poisons at sometimes lethal levels in the bodies of beloved California predators such as birds of prey and mountain lions. Remarkably, anticoagulant rodicides have been found in almost all the mountain lions tested in California. Each year, the State Department of Fish and Wildlife performs dozens of autopsies, known as necropsies, on mountain lion carcasses. 
Nine out of every ten cougar tested have traces of anticoagulant poisons in the livers. As a result, widespread wildlife poisoning. Nearly every prominent environmental group in the state is advocating to ban these rodent killers. And they're going to ban everything. They're just going to ban everything. I, I don't know how you can live in Le- California now. You can't use shit. How many products do you own that this is known to cause cancer? Because somebody touched it once. And some politician on the left virtue signal. MSM silent as Netflix faces historic subscriber loss following pro-life boycott. After streaming giant Netflix vowed to fight Georgia New Heartbeat Bill went viral across mainstream media outlets in May, those same outlets were silent on the issue affected as they reported on the company's historic subscriber loss and the resulting drop in its shares when announced last week. This despite a massive drive by various pro-life groups to boycott the company. Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandaros issued a statement to Variety on May 28th announcing Georgia Bill. At least pro-life petitions were started in the wake of Netflix statement urging Netflix customers to cancel their memberships and the hashtag Boycott Netflix was started on Twitter where many pro-life are announced they have canceled their Netflix subscription in protest. Many pro-life leaders and organizations have called for a boycott of Netflix as well. Interestingly, the site for the red petition appears to have been shut down and their account have been suspended. However, in just one day, conservatives cost Netflix $133,299 in annual losses. I think I did that wrong. I think it's $103 million. Based on a reported cancellation of monthly subscriptions to Red Petition, according to God TV. You can view tweets from those who signed the petition and shared it on Twitter before the site was shut down. Some scoffed at the pro-life attempt to make a difference with their petitions and cancellations, including the atheist free thinker blog on website Pathios, citing a story on Faithwire about the protest. The blog quoted from comments on the story, which mocked pro-lifers. Freethinker went on to cite positive reports on Netflix earnings in the past, stating, bottom line, the boycott by angry anti-abortion Christian fanatics will be nothing more than pissing in a wind exercises and may well serve to drive up the numbers of Netflix subscriptions. But Netflix historic loss of 126,000 subscribers in the U.S., falling way short of the analyst's expected growth of 352,000 and missing its own gain of 2.3 million. You know, 126,000 people bailing out of Netflix is huge when you're talking 16 bucks a month. I think it's also timing, so I'm going to be honest. I have what's called intellectual honesty, whereas the media doesn't. This is also lined up with Disney, so it's hard to tell, you know... I think you can count the 50,000 people that signed it. But the other 70, you really can't count because some of it is the content sucks, A. They raise the rates, B. And Disney's about to butt rape them because they're pulling all the good shit. So, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, Italian town, to issue 400-pound blasphemy fines. It's Soranara. Oh. 
South Dakota will require in God we trust signs in all the public schools. A new law in South Dakota will require all public schools across the state to feature the in God we trust motto on display. Students returning to school this fall will be greeted by the message which supporters say is meant to inspire patriotism. Governor Christy Nome signed the law in March and went into effect this month. The law requires that the message is prominently displayed in all 149 South Dakota school districts on the first day of class this year. Some have plaques, others have it painted on walls, maybe a mural setting. Associate School Board of South Dakota Executive Director Wade Piogi said, describing how schools plan to implement it. The display of the quota is required to be at least 12 inches by 12 inches inside. In one school, it was within their freedom wall. They added that to a patriotic theme. Good for you, South Dakota. That's what I'm talking about. Liberals freak out about this, but they sure like to spend the money because that's a lot of money, too. Beyonce's Lion King The Gift album flops with just 50k thousand sales. Where's that instructor dude that teaches a class on Beyonce? 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 Hmm. To our sad crime, which is not a section, but it's starting off a crime section. Newlyweds swept away in Alaska trying to reach into the wild bus. That's just fucking horrible. Oh. That's just really sad. Then Kirby Wallace pleads guilty, sentenced to life in prison. For those that don't remember, there was a time where I lived that I literally had to roll around with a pistol to get my wife um, in and out of her car. We had a killer on the loose that ended up killing three people, and he was right down the road from me. I literally had the ARs loaded, went to sleep with an AR next to me and a 9mm on my lap. I uh, had the 45 out. It was serious shit because this guy would walk up to people when they're getting their car, kill them, and take their shit. And then he got blocked about uh, three miles from our house. And um, they finally found him in the woods. Uh, anybody who's been with the show a long time actually covered it. They got him in a deer stand. It's pretty cool. So he's going to go to jail for a long time. That's awesome. And then last but not least, a city killer asteroid got scarily close to Earth yesterday. And astronomers had no clue about it. This is like Armageddon that just makes my butt pucker. Yesterday, a 427-foot-wide asteroid passed within 45,000 miles of Earth. Small asteroids could strike the Earth with the force of many nuclear weapons and destroy entire cities. NASA and other agencies have tools to spot them, but they didn't get this one. This son of a bitch passed... What did they say? It was close. Let's put it that way. It's way closer than it should have been. And they never saw it coming. So that definitely is some bad shit. So, let's go on into our lighter fare. It's a crime story. It is really funny. Couldn't get sound bites on these. I really wish I could have because they're really, really funny. First one, passenger dressed as a clown sparks brawl on P&O cruise ship. Six people, including three men and three women, were assaulted and injured, including significant bruising and cuts. Two arrested after man dressed as a clown's mass brawl on P.O. cruise ship liner when guests at a black tie gala took offense at his fancy dress and chairs and plates were thrown. 
Violence erupted hours after a booze-filled event en route to Southampton. Witnesses have said there was blood everywhere. Three men and three women assaulted with injuries, including bruises and cuts. Man 43 and woman 41 from Chagall, Essex, arrested on a suspicion of assault. Literally, they were throwing plates, furniture, all over a guy wearing a fucking clown suit. Man, maybe it's Stephen King it. People just have a problem with clowns? I don't know. Then our next one is, you know, I remember when I was younger and I literally, I glanced once at a girl in a mall and I remember the wrath of Gigi in Tennessee. Thus, I never did it again. But this guy, mm, I got to think he did it more than once. Passenger smashes laptop over boyfriend's head on packed plane because he looked at another woman. This is the moment. A random passenger crashed her partner's laptop over his head. A woman was videoed flying into a rage and battering her boyfriend on board a plane. And it sounded a little something like this. Shut the f- Yeah, you better believe that I wear the f- from the public. You want to f- look at other women? F- you ain't going to look at other women. And you ain't going to tell me you're looking at other women. Yeah, I know. I insult the child. There's a little boy right behind you. I already know. I look. I'm not gonna say nothing if you don't say nothing to try to cause a commotion. Cause he's a problem. You wanna try to shut the Oh, 
God, that's some violent ass shit right there. That's some violent ass shit. Our next one was going to be our This Is America until I decided to use Tlaib again because that is technically the wrong, worst thing. But I found this story on Drudge and it's literally something out of one of my wife's horror movies and it scared the living shit out of me. Bodies sewn together, cooler of male genitalia found in Arizona Body Donation Center. On our top story, a grisly investigation centered on a body donation business, and it's taking some new twists tonight. Yeah, Air 15 was over this latest Valley raid, and yet another day of investigators dressed in hazmat suits, removing evidence from the Biological Resource Center, and some of that evidence coming out on gurneys. It is official. Bodies are coming out of that building. We also know body parts were removed in a similar federal raid in Detroit. That was back in December, and trust us, this story is about to be taken to another level. Yeah, we're already hearing from all kinds of people who are wondering what's happened to their loved ones. They left the bodies in that business's hands. ABC 15's Nohelani Graf just met with a woman in that very situation. And Nohe, she's waiting at this moment for her husband's ashes to be returned. Katie and Steve, he just passed away 11 days ago. Clearly, no one is going to work here right now. So she's wondering, is his case still being processed? Is his body still in there? Has it been taken for evidence? She's also still waiting on her husband's death certificate. Without it, her life is on hold, as well as the celebration of her husband's. A Harley lover, a Vietnam Navy veteran, husband, father, grandfather steve leaves a legacy to be proud of he would have wanted to to make a difference his wife julie says he wanted to continue to help others long after he's gone but after a long bout with cancer she realized he couldn't donate his organs the va suggested science at least he would still be considered like don't donating himself and he could still you know, have part of his wishes anyway. She signed Steve over to Biological Resource Center. The only money paid, 120 bucks for his death certificate. With the FBI raid, she's not sure when she'll get it now, which means she can't even start the process of collecting her husband's pension or life insurance. Coming up on the end of the month, and I don't know if there's going to be any income at all coming in on his side, which, you know, his whole plan was that I would still be taken care of. More upsetting, her husband will also get a full military burial. I don't know when that's going to happen. We can't even plan for it. She also worries if the cremated remains she does get back will even be those of her beloved. Confused and, and angry. We thought this was going to be doing some good. That it doesn't sound like it is. Now I want to point out that Julie asked us to hide her face because she doesn't want to jeopardize getting her husband's remains or paperwork back. I also found today that Biological Resource had a provisional license for tissue bank operation based out of New York State. And I want to point out down in the corner, this is a copy, it expired in December. So Steve and Katie, I'm working right now to find out if they were even in the process of trying to renew this license. Oh, and no, hey, the process of grieving, as so many of us know, is so 
hard to deal with alone and thinking that she's having to go through this as well, no matter what this investigation turns up, is heartbreaking. Thank you for updating Absolutely. us on this story. Yeah, it's tough on everybody. And we know you got a lot of questions out there, a lot of things we still don't know about this. There's a hotline now set up for anybody out there with questions or concerns about their family members' donations. Yeah, it was set up by the Arizona Attorney General's Office. We want to add the number to your screen for you at 602-542-8888. As always, we've posted it on our website for you as well. And we should tell you tonight, we're already talking to sources who are telling you ABC 15, what's about to go down next with this investigation? So keep it right here for your coverage. Some new information. It was basically Gosnell, but for humans. We're talking heads. There was a body with a smaller head sewn on it. I mean, it was some jacked up fucking shit. Just some horrible, horrible shit. I mean, a bag of dicks. I mean, I don't even know what the fuck I'd do. Some of the dicks were sewn together. It was like some Frankenstein shit. They made a Frankenstein body with different arms and legs. I mean, I don't even fucking understand how sick you have to be to do this. But those motherfuckers, they need to be put down like a dog. A rabid fucking dog. Which brings us to our This Is America. I'm going to replay the Talib statement. And then I'm going to cover one article. And we're going to close this mother out. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. So you talk about the hate agenda and you know you have heard there's there have been criticisms of you from even your fellow Democrats, especially for your support for the BDS movement, which stands for Boycott, Divest, Sanction. Uh, it's an anti-Israel movement. Um, well, uh, or, it's it's, it's uh, anti. It's, it's, it's criticizing the racist policies of Israel okay. and it's a boycott. Right. I mean, I think folks don't know when you say BDS, especially in country when you say bds they don't they're not sure what it means boycott divest sanction i, I want to get yeah. your reaction to something that senator schumer said about bds which is a movement you support yes he said quote when there is such a double standard when the world treats everybody one way and the jew or the jewish state another way there's only one word for it anti-semitism let us call out the bds movement for what it is and i think one of the questions that senator schumer and other supporters of israel might have is why focus on just Israel, why not also call for sanctions against other countries where you might have issues such as Egypt or Pakistan or Saudi Arabia? Oh, absolutely. And I think if there was an economic boycott movement around Saudi Arabia, I'd be the first to sign up for it. Um, I, I can tell you they're all around college campuses. Um, there are Jews, Muslims, Hindus, all different kinds of backgrounds who are pushing back against racist policies in Israel because they see that um, the human rights violations of children being detained, uh, the fact that my grandmother who lives in the West Bank right now does not have equality. She doesn't have freedom of travel. Um, she is someone that right now under occupation uh, is feeling less than. And I grew up in the most blackest, beautiful city in the country where every corner in Detroit here, you will see uh, a reminiscence of the civil rights movement, of the labor rights movement. And we did it through economic boycott. It is a form of freedom of speech. But people want to dismiss it because they're trying to say it's anti-Semitism. That's the way to try to discredit the fact that we all know under Netanyahu's regime, mm -hmm. human rights violations have gotten worse. 
and we need to be well, why able not, to why use... not boycott Egypt? They have, oh, they I would hard... boycott Egypt, of course. But you keep I'm very you critical. Would, you would boycott oh, Saudi let me Arabia. Tell you. you would boycott Egypt, but you're but not. But there, right now, there is not a bill or resolution on the floor that is saying stop boycotting Egypt. But you could. But of, of course, and I would absolutely oppose any sort of oppression, of freedom of speech, of First Amendment right in this country. It's a slippery slope, Jake, because tomorrow, if, if folks want to, uh, you know, boycott Saudi Arabia, and there's a movement, and it's got a name. Uh, they're going to go ahead and pass a resolution saying you don't have freedom of speech, you don't have a right to the First Amendment. You can't be double standard. But, of course, I would oppose any kind of oppression of that sort, of, freedom, of, of, of dismissing somebody's right, First Amendment right. And we have cases around the country from teachers who don't even know what's going on in Israel, who do not feel like they should wipe away their First Amendment right to be able to speak out through economic boycott. I know you want to talk about Michigan, so just let's last question on this. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I, I truly believe the state of Israel is, it exists, correct? But understand, does it exist in the detriment of inequality for the Palestinian people? Detriment of not really moving forward in a peaceful resolution. We're never going to have peace, I truly believe, if separate but equal is the way they want to go. And I can tell you, I learned that from my African-American teachers in Detroit Public Schools who showed me what the pain of oppression looks like. We're not going to have peace if we don't understand that we are dehumanizing Palestinians every single day when we choose Israel over their rights. But yes and or no, does Israel have a right to exist? Oh, of course. Okay. But just like Palestinians have a right to exist, Palestinians also have a right to human rights. We can't say one or the other. We have to say it in the same breath or we're not going to actually have a peaceful resolution. So I just don't understand. I don't understand how they get away with it. And our last, this is America. Both CBS and Reuters ran a photo of a Guatemalan migrant mother and a Mexican border guard, including a headline that didn't quite tell the whole story. Reuters' photo captures Guatemalan mother begging soldier to let her enter the U.S. CBS' dramatic photo captures migrant mom pleading with border guard as she tries to enter the U.S., According to Gonzalez, Letty Perez and her son approached the U.S.-Mexico border and a Mexican National Guardsman in Cicado Juarez. The woman begged and pleaded with the National Guard to let them cross. The guard, Gonzalez added, said that he was only following orders. The series of photos taken by Gonzalez showed Perez and her six-year-old son, Anthony Diaz, speaking with the guard. Perez did not appear to be at all threatened by the guard, taking his arm as she spoke with him. At one point, she dropped the ground crying and she hugged her son. Nine paragraphs into the story, however, Reuters shed further light on the context of the situation by including comments from the National Guard and Jesus Ramirez, spokesman for Mexican presidential president Manuel Lopez Arbador, Alex Griswold. We should feel bad for this person, and also the people who are angry that the soldier didn't let her in are telling on themselves a little bit. Oh, wait, he wasn't even stopping her, and this whole thing was stupid. Lopez Abadar spokesman, Jesus Romero, said the image was an example of the National Guard doing his job and looking after public security. He said the soldier did not impede Perez from crossing, who advised her of the danger of doing so. The guard combats the crime of people trafficking and protects the human rights of the population and the migrants crossing the country. An official with the National Guard said the soldier invited her to avoid putting herself at risk by crossing the river with the minor. 
Knowing that Garner did nothing to impede the woman's movement or physically block her from crossing the border, Lopez Obrador deployed the National Guard in an effort to curtail trafficking and did not have orders to detain migrants. Following the confrontation, President and son were photographed moving towards the border in order to cross illegally, unhindered by the Mexican National Guard. This is the photo, the time photo of the year, that was a lie of a little girl lying and nothing, none of it was true. It's just propaganda, which is all our media has. When they, more than anything else, are to blame for this. Had they properly reported from 2012 to 2016, when Obama was doing this, maybe we would have comprehensive immigration reform. Maybe we would have. Hell, we might even have had a, another Ronald Reagan. You're all legal. Go to this station. Get your papers. But instead, because it's a Democrat, they didn't do their job. And we continue in this fucking horrible state of immigration. Yeah. Thanks, media. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this to family and friends and send comments about the track or suggestions to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast, which hits the stats every week. Remember to check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast, uh, today is Monday, right? Let's go for a Friday, 2 August, Year of Our Lord 2019. We'll go 2 August. That'll give us a four-day period to get some more information. I had a great month on stats. Uh, one Eye contracts about 1,200, which means about 2,000 listens. Uh, you kind of aggregate that I don't get all the stats on SoundCloud. Um, the top track was July 11th. It had 70 listens. Top city was New York, New York, and that's a first. Followed by the Bronx. Followed by Portland, Oregon, which could not all be Matt and uh, Sean. So, wow, thank you. Germany is still on the board, as it always is. And Morocco. Our top listeners, which does not even equate right, because I know other people listen a lot. Uh, Nito, uh, sorry, Nino Vito. Thanks, brother. Man's Festering Podcast. Thank you for listening. And Joseph, J-O-S-E-F. You were the top listeners that came up on the SoundCloud statistics, which literally have a lot to be desired. They're fucking horrible. I can't track shit, but I thank everybody for listening. And sticking with the show, uh, we've progressively gone up this year, which is fantastic. And I hope you continue to listen and pass it to your family and friends so we get more lessons. Make sure you stay cool out there. It's going to get back to heat. We had a great couple days here down in the south. It was nice and cool. Now we're back to excruciating heat. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. And tune back in Friday for another episode. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, 
It's a short ride. Make every day count.